This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Goal for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. He So he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. It is finally here. The 2021 season is starting on Thursday, and I can't wait. I can't wait to see our players. I can't wait to see this team. I can't wait to see the Coliseum. I can't wait to see some of you, the fans. It just seems like it's been so long because it has been. Crack of the bat, smell the grass. I am ready to go. And boy, do we have a great show for you today. Our man, Shooty Babbitt, will be here at 4.30. Play-by-play voice of your Oakland Athletics, Vince Catronio. TV face and voice for the Rays, Dwayne Stats, as we'll talk about the Rays, the defending American League champs at 5.30. Then a little green and gold history with David Feldman at 6. And then the play-by-play voice of the Kansas City Royals, you know him, been worked Northern California, Southern California, the great Steve Physioc will be here at 6.30. That is a baseball lineup. You know, at this point in spring training, you just want everybody to be healthy and get back here to Oakland and let's get it going. That's what it's about. It's about keeping everybody healthy. There's going to be, there's going to be, Guys get dinged up. I mean, it's just it just happens. Yeah, you hate to like we're you know we're gonna talk with uh, Dwayne Stats about Nick Anderson. He's their best reliever. He's out probably till at least August. He's their guy. He's their go to when they got issues, and you know they're gonna try and do that platement stuff. And if it doesn't work after that, it's Tommy John surgery. We've got some audio for you here. Bob Melvin talking about his starting rotation. Well, it has a lot to do with how Frankie Montas does in the in the sim game that he's going to throw on the off day. So we're kind of waiting other than, you know, the first two to see how we kind of deploy them uh, based on that. So nothing nothing's for sure on on when he will pitch, when Manaya will pitch and the fifth starter. Well, we know one guy who's not going to be pitching. It's going to be Mike Fires. Here's the skipper. He's doing well. Uh, he's going to throw a little bit today, and then he's going to pitch on the other side of Montas on the off day. So he's going to get at least two innings in, uh, which is kind of his the start of a different progression for him, throwing to hitters. And then, you know, we'll probably send him to the alt site and pitch some innings to, you know, get him up to speed there. So we're, we're kind of on our way with him pitching in games and hopefully like I said we target him at some point in time in April whether it's mid to late I'm not sure yet so Cole Irvin 
He's thrown the ball pretty well this spring. He's got a one ERA, which is at spring really good because we all know the ball doesn't do exactly what you want it to do down in that thin air. A.J. Puck, could he potentially be a, f- a fifth starter? Four innings, one hit, three Ks. And then Dalton Jeffries, five innings, three hits, one earned run. He's got a one point, was he three and oh with a 1.50 ERA this spring? So, yeah, I mean, if Mike's going to be out a little bit, but what, what it shows you right out of the gate, Cody, is that this franchise has depth with its starting pitching. In a year where we're, we've been talking agnosium about how we don't know how many innings guys are going to go. And, you know, we might get to it. There was an article from OB.com talking about bold predictions for every team. And for the Indians, they put three guys would have 200-plus innings. And I looked at them like, what? Besides Shane Bieber, who's going 200 innings? Savali? Uh, Plesak? I mean, come on. So with, that's, They said it's a bold prediction. I mean, that is, I mean, that's really bold. I mean, it's... I mean, it's bolder than going out on a limb saying Mike Trout will win the MVP that some people will probably say, but uh, it shows you those three guys competing for that fifth spot until Mike Fires comes back. It's been a, it's been a race, and, and Dalton Jeffries, I think, you know, with the, the start he had on Saturday against the Giants, as you mentioned, the five innings, one run, four Ks, but Cole Irvin against the Dodgers Friday night, six innings, ten strikeouts, allowed one run. So he gets the one ERA this spring. He's been really good ever since they got the A's have got him from the Phillies. And Bob's got to have a tough decision to make come up for the fifth starter if they want to go with the fifth starter. But it's a four-game set against Houston and then three against the Dodgers, so you might need a fifth starter. Where other teams like the Royals have like three days off in their first nine games or something like that. So they really don't need to have a five-man rotation to start the year for Kansas City. But um, that, that's the one thing I'm looking forward to, seeing who that fifth starter is going to be because we see the rest of the roster is kind of set. And they're going to have the 13 position players and 13 pitchers. So that fifth that fifth, um, fifth man in the rotation is going to be key, and, and uh, we'll see who comes out with it hopefully sometime this week. Well, the number one thing I've seen today, and it made me feel good, an article on ESPN, scoring home runs down in spring training with new balls in play. Through Sunday, spring training games are averaging 9.4 runs, the lowest scoring output in the preseason since at least 2015. I mean, this is what we want to see. And how's this going to translate when you go back and you're playing in a ballpark like, let's say, Oakland? Or you're playing in a ballpark like San Francisco. And we start talking about the marine lair. And if guys are flying out, you know, guy hits it, guy goes into his trot, and there the outfielder is on the warning track catching it, maybe this will be something to change a little bit of strategy. Maybe I gotta. Maybe I get gotta get a two two strike approach. Make sure I put the ball in play to give myself a chance. Guys are still gonna hit home runs. I think there's no question. I just if 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 what they're doing to the ball works, there's you know we've had home runs. How many how many years in a row? Is it twelve years in a row? Home runs have gone up every single year. I think the only year the home runs haven't gone up was 2018. 
because like home runs were down. But then 2019, there were 6,776 home runs hit that year. Remember, the Twins broke the record that the Yankees set the year prior, and they shattered it by hitting 307. And the Yankees came back and hit 306. So it's not like the Yankees were like, oh, you know, we only hit 260-something the year before. They came back and hit 40 more home runs the following season. According to ESPN Stats and Info, home runs have been declined this spring to 1.11 per game, the lowest in the preseason since 2017. We want to start seeing the trend go down. I'm not saying I want all scoring out. I just, I don't want to see what what we saw in the playoffs between the A's and the Astros, where the the balls were flying out like bouncy balls. I want legit homers. I wish we'll still see the legit guy hits homers, but guys flipping their bat out and the ball's going out the opposite way. Come on. Well, and, if, and, it, and if guys are just hitting fly ball outs, maybe some guys are going to have to make some changes about making more contact instead of, instead of swinging, out, swinging out of your you-know-what every single at-bat. Yeah, and that article on ESPN also mentions in there about the mem- – there's a memo that, according to the Associated Press, an MLB memo to team stated that the new balls will fly one or two feet shorter on hits that travel more than 375 feet. Over the past three seasons, if you round the number up, it says 80.9. So 81% of home runs have traveled more than 75%. Or, sorry, have traveled more than 370 feet. So that's going to that's gonna change a lot if a ball travels one to two feet shorter. When balls are averaging 375 feet, you know, 81% of home runs were going that far already. Uh, that's a big difference. I, I mean, how big we'll see. Are we going to see 6,776 home runs hit this year? Probably not, but we're going to see 900 pitchers used, maybe. But the, the amount of uh, home runs that we see, hopefully it correlates to more runs, more action, more stolen bases, and not just a home run, strikeout, or a walk, which we've seen the last few years. Can we ban the shift before the before Thursday? Uh, I'll, trading, I'll trade banning, banning the shift for the universal DH. You, you got it. Done deal. Have your people call my people, and let's get this done. Have them call our good friend uh, uh, Commissioner Manfred. Yeah, we could, we could, we, and it, it, was it Tom House? Somebody said on this program that they they think things are going to start going back. It'll never go back to what it used to be, but the style of play may be going back a little bit, and not just everybody getting up there striking out the three the. The three true outcomes: walks, strikeouts, home runs, and making rule changes. Now, this is not the baseball is not a rule change; that's an equipment. You change your equipment, so maybe just maybe we might get some faster games with more action. I think. I mean, wouldn't we all sign up for that? You're telling me you don't want to see three-hour and 17-minute-long spring training games anymore? Like, what, what, what are we doing here? Or playoff games at 20, 26 minutes, only two balls were put in play. That, only two balls were put in play in a half hour. That, 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 that article by Tom Verducci was just, uh, just the astronomical numbers of the, the balls that were not put in play and all the other stats was just incredible. Incredible to read and, and to go back and look, and you're like, 
You know what that game, that series was really boring. And no wonder the viewership was down, unfortunately, for the World Series, because of what how the game the game has been translated and been played with no action. That's why the hiring of Theo Epstein could either is going to be hopefully a good thing for baseball because he's one of the guys that helped create the gateway the game is now, and he's trying to destroy that and make it back to where it should be with more action and we're we're showing out the athleticism of some of these guys, not just the guys that hit the ball at the ballpark. We're showing the guys that can get a triple, still bases. They're going to go the extra 90 feet. It's I, I'm looking forward to this, and hopefully we see more action this year because I think it, it'll draw more fans in too instead of just being, oh, hey, I guess I went to a baseball game and I saw uh, three guys hit a, a home run and the other guy struck out 19 times combined. Well, the legit home run hitters are still going to hit home runs. Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, these guys are still going to hit home runs. It, it, it's it's the it's the guys that would normally hit like five now have fifteen. Well, they need to go back to five. I know a couple of those and, guys. Yeah, and they and, and and they need to stop striking out and putting the ball in play. Think of like Rugnit Odor. He he just got kicked the can in Texas. Think of how good that guy was at one point, and then all of a sudden just couldn't make contact. How much money did they eat on that deal? I don't know if they put that out there. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up real quick. But over the last four years with him, he's hit 88 home runs, which is great. That's great. He has 88 home runs. He's hit 215 and has an OPS plus of 77. He's below league average by 23 over the last four years When I from the research I did. The 88 home runs are great, but the guy can't make contact. That's why he's not there anymore. And it, it, it brings up – it makes you wonder if Chris Davis didn't get hurt, would he be a guy that wasn't on the roster for them too? Because the Rangers are clearly trying to clean house and start over with, you know, everything except for, you know, players like Joey Gallo that they're going to keep for a couple more years. But the Odor thing is this, he, he can't – he hasn't hit well anymore. Besides the outlier year where he hit a bunch of home runs, he's been really bad. Unless they have a settlement. He makes uh, 12.3 this year, 12.3 next year, and then 2023, it's 13.5, but he's got a $3 million buyout. So they're going to end up giving him close to $30 million to walk away. Wow. That's crazy. And Chris Davis, I think you're right. I think if Chris Davis was healthy, they'd probably be showing him the door too. This might be, and, and I feel bad for the Rangers. I really do because you you open your new ballpark the year COVID-19 hits. So you never got a honeymoon with the new ballpark. And then by that point, you're like, well, we're not going to be that great. We might as well tear it up and. Start anew. That's got to be tough for that fan base. I mean, you know, your new ballpark, you want that to be like the, the, the greatest year. Sold out every night. Everybody's fired up about the team. A lot of teams, when they've opened up new ballparks, the first couple of years, they had good teams. Do you know the one comes to mind for me that most recently? Because I was trying to think of them. Like, when, when was the last time a stadium opened and the team's been bad? Like, okay, the Pirates were really bad when PNC Park opened. Uh, well, they were bad for years after that. Uh, if you look at the Bay Area, the Giants were still were pretty good when, when uh, what was it, Pac Bell back then opened, whatever the name was when it first opened. Pac Bell. 
And so they were they were good. You look at the Warriors though. Remember what was it? So it was last year the Warriors first year at Chase Center. They stunk, and then COVID nineteen hit, and they're back now with no fans. They still stink. So maybe it's a good thing for them that the fans aren't there. But in, ba- in baseball terms, it's been a while since they've opened a, a team's opened a new ballpark, and the team hasn't been any good, and they've been going through a rebuild. Okay, the Marlins would be okay. The Marlins are another example too. But you have the 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 other examples to where the Orioles were pretty good when Camden Yards opened up. Um, the Jake in Cleveland, they had a great young team, and then they had their run of going to the playoffs all those years. And at one point, the Indians set the record for most sellouts. So there's been teams, you know, you open up your new yard and the excitement and the twins. The uh, Mariners were pretty good when they moved into Safeco Field. The Braves with their fourth new stadium in 10 years. (laughs) Oh, man. But this is going to be a big year for the A's in getting a stadium, I tell you that. This is the year we're going to find out. Is it going to happen or is it not going to happen? And wait till you hear Dwayne's stats. They really are thinking about the Rays playing half their games in St. Petersburg and half their games in Montreal. That would be wild. There's a lot of logistics you have to work through on that for sure. Uh, as Delano will lay out for you some of the stuff. But it's just you you got to go through customs every time you want to go play a home game. Essentially, if you're if you're not in if you're not in Toronto or sorry Montreal for those times, you got to fly across the border, then come back. You got to go. You gotta keep doing that back and forth. I know, like there seems like you know the Blue Jays do it for road games and stuff, but that's got it's got to be a nightmare and such a hassle. There's no way I see players agreeing like, yeah, you know, we'll go play half a year in Montreal. Why not? Like, I don't see why you'd want to do that. I see the players wanting to do it because I think they'd rather be in Montreal than St. Petersburg, Florida, where everybody just goes to retire. <laughs> you go across the bridge and you're in Tampa and you can see Brady and the Lightning. and Yeah, I mean, older guys who played in the National League will tell you what a great time it was going to Montreal to play the Expos. Montreal's a great city, an international city. Players loved it for multiple reasons. That's why they're, they, they, they'll, they'll get a team. And this might, you know, this might be the help kill two birds with one stone is you offer Montreal some baseball. They got to build a park. St. Petersburg is still looking to build a park. So you could solidify. Tampa being in St. Petersburg, and then you want to add two more teams. You want to make it 32 teams. Now, is that going to be Vegas? Is it going to be Portland? Is it going to be in North Carolina? I mean, they have options. But what they have to do is they've got to get Oakland and they've got to get the Rays situated. It's it's tough. It's tough to say, hey, we're going to 32 teams. You're like, well, what are you going to do in Oakland? What are you going to do in Tampa? You need both of those locations solidified. Then you can start looking somewhere else. 
You know, there was another piece of news that happened. It wasn't really blown up or anything, but I, I, I was following it. And then another thing happened today, which the Marlins won't say it's service time related, but you could say it is. Their best prospect, Sixto Sanchez, who, uh, you know, he's a big part of their playoff run last year. He got opted into the minors to start the season. But what? from the article I read on MLB Trade Rumors, they're saying it's not really service time related. Okay. Because he pitched in the majors last year. Okay. I, I can see. But apparently they're trying to limit his innings. They only want him to go like 150 or 160 innings. So I can see why they did that. But the other one is uh, guess who didn't make the roster in Seattle? Oh. It's bad luck. Yeah, so uh, apparently Kelnick said he's going to play his tail off to get caught up. But they sent him down to the minors after this whole fiasco happens. And he's going to start out the year, I think, in AAA. But, I mean, that, that's just crazy. The Jared Kelnick, the top prospect for the Mariners, one of the top ten in baseball, played really well in spring training. And after this whole thing with their former president, is still starting the year in the minors. Because it's all about service time. And then the players' union is going to use that against the owners when this season ends and the CBA's up. And they're going to have to figure out a way to start paying younger players more money. I mean, that's just, that to me is bottom line. If you don't want to pay them when they're older, well, you got to pay them at some point. If I was an owner, I would, I, I would rather pay guys when they're 24, 25, 26, 27, 28. I don't want to be paying them when they're 33, 34, and 35. And that's, I'd rather pay them as they're entering their prime and in their prime, which some teams have done. Some teams have said, hey, forget the service time. I'm just going to, hey, 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 Bregman, here's $100 million. Acuna Jr., here's $100 million. I mean, you would really, really be betting on yourself if you someone came to you with like a $135 million and you turned it down. Because your agent's saying, "Well, man, we could get you two fifty to three hundred for free agency." Yeah. Is you there... also could blow out your knee. There's also a lot of different things that could happen, and now you don't get that hundred and thirty-five million. And we're gonna see how that works out here, maybe by Thursday for Mets star Francisco Lindor, because they're. Apparently him and Steve Cohn went out to dinner the other night or something. I don't know. And the Ravioli wasn't good. I saw the headline or something. But uh, they're working towards trying to get him locked up long-term for $300 million. And we'll see if it happens. Because remember, he turned down, what, $200 million with Cleveland? Because he thought he could get more money. He's betting on himself. So we'll see if that happens. And look what, how the NFL operates now. What, what do most teams do except for the Patriots because, and now the Bucs because Brady's 43 years old? A lot of these teams are winning with a young quarterback uh, on a rook on a rookie deal. The Rams got to the Super Bowl. Jared Goff, rookie deal. Patrick Mahomes was on a rookie deal. Now he makes like five hundred million, but he signed it after the Super Bowl. Like their their teams are building their teams in the NFL around the quarterback having that really really small rookie deal, where you could do that in baseball. Teams just don't do it. Like like when the when the Braves signed Acuna Jr. to that deal, they got eight years, one hundred twenty million dollars for one of the guys. Top, let's say we'll say top five players in the league right now, probably, and that's what they're paying him, and they're going to have him until he's like 27, 28. So it's a good deal for them. And then you don't, if you don't want to pay him when he gets into his thirties, that's fine because that's the trend we're going in baseball anymore. Or the, the the Josh Donaldson deal that he got with the Twins might be one of the last ones we see like that for a while. 
Edwin Encarnacion doesn't have a job right now, and the season starts in essentially three days. One of the most premier home run hitters the last decade or, or decade plus doesn't have a job in baseball. Ryan Braun's another one. Well, they're they're get they're get they're getting railroaded by the no DH in the National League, which is a joke. But one one. If everybody has, because that's basically what the DH over time became. It became aging star players who can't really play in the field anymore, but they can still hit. Paul Molitor could still hit. George Brett could still hit. Dave Winfield, all these guys. But now if you open it up in the National League, then you have all these jobs open for DHs. And so guys like you just rattled off would have jobs. And you can't tell me how this is. I don't know why the players union. They know what's going to happen, right? It's not going to shock anybody when they agree to this. And for the players union, it's more jobs, more high paying job because DHs make good money. Like, why wouldn't they want it? You know their players want it. The whole dealing between owners and players is just always loosey-goosey, as you like to say. Well, I mean, I learned that from one of the best, and A-Rod. Do you, it's going to be interesting because we got essentially three days. We got Tuesday and Wednesday and then Thursday's opening day. So essentially it's really two days if you don't count Thursday because today's half over already. I want to see if there's a deal that comes out Wednesday night like last year. Hey, guess what? Universal DH is coming, and we're going to expand the postseason. And I'm I'm convinced that it's not going to happen, but, you know, you always want to hold out hope for optimism and and hope hope that it's going to happen because you want you want to see, you know, te- the pitcher not hit. I'm sorry. I don't I don't care. Uh, I went back and, and looked. And, in 2018, pitchers hit 115. So, yeah, their batting average went up a year later to 128, but I, I don't care. We need to see universal DH. It makes the sport – better when we're talking about the quality on the field and the pace of play a pitcher batting kind of slows the game down well I mean if he strikes out on three pitches maybe not but having the DH it makes it more exciting and more interesting uh by a lot did you just get this from uh ML- the MLB app uh, I don't have notifications on the MLB app what happened uh talented core gives A's World Series hopes so right now, MLB.com, and on the app, they've put out the preview for the 2021 A's. I like it. Martin Gallegos, I just got this. All right, coming up next, Shooty Babbitt, one of the top scouts in baseball and one of the sharpest dressed men on TV, will join us next right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Ramon Laureano. And the throw is going to be in time at the plate. Laureano firing a strike all the way on the And you're listening to Ace Cast, your 24-7 destination for Ace Baseball. Is this going to be the greatest opening day of your lifetime? Yeah, because... Uh, it's been so. It's been so long since we've been to the to the ballpark. I mean, it's been almost what a year and a half plus. So it's gonna be a lot of fun, and I, I can't wait to to see you in person to do the show in person, not do it over Google Meets. 
uh, for the first time in over a year. It's going to be a lot of fun to do something where we can actually see each other in person and not over um, a computer screen. It's just going to be real special. I mean, we, 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 we had it taken away from us. And it was great, the fact that we got to have some baseball last year. And we at least had 60 games and we had the playoffs. But it just seems like there's been such a void in, I think, for fans out there and for, you know, we're fans, but it's also our job. And to kind of give you an idea of what we've done, Cody and I basically built this show and around no baseball. I mean, if you think about it, we've gone at one point we went like eight, eight months with no baseball. Man, that's I don't care if you're covering just the NFL or the NBA or covering the sport with no games being played. I mean, it's cool for an offseason, but, you know, after the winter meetings. And, you know, January, February. I mean, March, April, May, June, July, finally starts up again in late July. So it's going to be nice to get back into a routine for our our fans and for Ace Ace Cast and Ace Cast Live where everything now will be about games, not signings, not, you know, who's making this, you know, it'll be about baseball, about guys winning, losing, performance that's one thing i'm really looking forward to shooty babbitt how are you my friend county 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 i know you miss that up there in the treehouse don't you boy i know uh, i sure do man yeah. <laughs> what's up chris Townsend? <laughs> i'm just I, I i i'm telling you shooty i might be crying walking into that oakland coliseum i miss it so much oh man i know man it's it's amazing how that wasn't so long ago, but it seems like it's been forever since we've been up there, man, enjoying ourselves, you know, every pre and post game, man. I mean, just having an open party and, uh, but we warming up, brother. We warming up. It's getting better by the moment. Uh, that that 12,000 that's going to be in there opening night, it's going to seem like 120,000 compared to when we were last year, man. So uh, I'm just getting excited about what is, instead of what is it and what's going to be. So, um, man, I just got back from spring training. I'm sorry I was a little late connecting. I'm sitting up here putting a little marinade on these baby backs that I had sitting in the freezer seasoning up while I was down in spring training. So, boy, I'm about to, ooh, it's about to get real good up in here. <laughs> so tell us, what you, tell us what you saw down at spring training. How good do you think this team can be? I guess my um, theme this will be this year will be just culture and consistency, man. Um, year in and year out, you know, it seems like there's always uh, some question marks because of a lost um, player that we don't bring back or we lose the free agency or whatever the case may be and how we're going to fulfill those roles. But you find yourself more talking about the good things, some of the younger players that are maturing, 
Um, when you see a Dalton Jeffries fighting like he's fighting down there in spring training, Jesus Lazardo um, turning into an ace right in front of your eyes, the first time it seems like the gloves are going to be taken off of him and he'll get an opportunity to go out there and get the ball every fifth day. Uh, it's it just the stories go on and on. Jed Lowry is, run, Jed Lowry is running around the uh, ballpark like a 25-year-old right now. I mean, you're talking about rejuvenated. So there's just so much to be excited about. Uh, nobody in that division is uh, hands down better than anyone else. And I think it's going to be a dogfight just up and down in the American League West this year. Well, I think about Jed, and when he when he re-signed here, you're like, if he can just come close to what he used to be here in Oakland, a second baseman with extra base hit power and drives in runs, and he and he makes a lot of contact. It's like he's exactly what this lineup needs. Well, how could you not be feeling good, looking good, sounding good when you just came off a twenty million dollar two year vacation? Well, what was it, ten at bats up in New York City? I mean, come on, man. All they did was rubbed on him every single day to get him right and signed and uh, ready for us over here. So we're getting the best version of what Jeff Lowry's going to be like for the rest of his career. And you know what he was when he's here. He had his best years of his career when he wore the green and gold the last time. Yeah, there, there's, there's no doubt about it. And I want to get your opinion on pitching because some people think you're, you're going to need a ton of pitchers because these guys didn't get their full workload last year. Other people are going to tell you, you know what, these guys should be fresh, not a problem. How do you think pitching is going to go in 2021? Man, you know, in my humble opinion, Chris Townsend, um, you're going to need a bunch of them. Uh, and I guess people just really forgot that we had already started trending toward a bullpen type era. A bunch of guys are just huff and puff until they try to blow the house down and all they end up doing is blowing their arms out. So I'm kind of glad that 95 and 97 is just a guy that just throws hard. Uh, there was a time when you saw that, it was like, woo, such and such is throwing 95. Well, everybody's coming in there and throwing 95 to 97. The guys that have paid attention to their craft, that understand that more uh, more uh, pitching on the outside of the plate, pitching in soft contact, get quick and easy outs instead of those extended at bat. Those are the guys that are going to have success. And it takes time, feel, understanding, uh, up and down, um, familiarity with a hitter before you know how to pitch to that guy. So a lot of bodies were in camp. Guys weren't getting the amount of at bats they needed. Pitchers weren't getting a chance to see as many hitters. Simulation is simulation. Nothing like game day um, or actual game play. So it's going to be interesting. That's why I love when I talk about continuity and culture. There's a culture and a continuity that you continue to see with the A's in this organization that there's not a whole lot of holes ever to plug. You've got guys that pretty much fulfill and define their roles when they come here. Um, I look at a guy, for example, like Lou Trevino. Here's a guy who had tremendous success when he was with Trinan and Parent and probably could have pitched in the ninth inning that year. But since we had Trinan, it wasn't necessary. The next year he came back. He didn't pitch well. This guy is looking fresh, looking sharp. We've got about three guys that might be able to close down there. So we've got depth. Uh, the guys are going to compete. Um, they're anxious. They're ready to go. And as long as we can get out of there um, healthy. You know, I don't even want to talk about A.J. Puck because you're talking about if he stays ready, Freddie, and bringing what he brings, man, we're talking about a whole new big 
story this year. So there's so many things to look forward to in this 2021 season, man, that that's the biggest thing that I took away from being down in spring training that there's going to be, can, can you imagine some of the times that you and I used to just sit back every night, all we talked about was pitching because there was nothing else to talk about with that club and how hard your job was. People don't know how hard your job was during that time. Not going to be like that, Townie. Going to be different stories every night, man. And that, and that's what I'm loving about this team. I, I'm going to be real interested to see how the Rays are going to do it this year. Yarborough, Glass now. And then after that, they're going to try and get a ton of innings from a bunch of guys. As many innings as many guys, you know, have X amount of guys that have at least 100 innings. You think that kind of philosophy can work? It has worked for them. Um, that's why they've had no problems trading away the the, 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 the snails, uh, the uh, all those big name uh, arms that they've gotten rid of that would've been aces on other clubs. Remember, they're the one that started that opener stuff, pitching um, closers in the first inning. They do it, you know, in a statistically analytical way. Um, they've had success by marginalizing how much money that they have to pay. And they've minimized damage by going out and making foolish mistakes. And what they do is they pay that guy, you know, when a, I mean, they trade that guy when, a, when the money is up and they get some value back and they plug the hole. I just think uh, it, it's going to be wholesale this year, man. You better have a stable full of arms now because it's going to be a long, long year, man. Yeah, especially after coming off just playing 60, now going, you know, because you, you can trick it up and fool people for 60, but you can't hide your warts in 162 games. Mm-mm. And, you know, I know a lot of these guys threw up indoors and um, tried to do things to stay in shape, but it's nothing like actual being on the field. And I know um, the things that we've been through here with the corona, um, that's limited everybody. And, those guys that were there for 60 games and living in that bubble, you think that they jumped right out of that and went back to working out? Man, they wouldn't hug their families and spend time indoors with the people that they've missed all that time. So everybody's behind. Um, I think we'll just have to be patient, don't have the expectations that we normally have. Uh, remember, these guys are human beings, even though they're the best in the world. But uh, let, let, let's, let's, let's um, first 30 days, you know, let's see what happens. You know, as far as guys' health are concerned and let the cliques break in and the gloves break in a little bit before we start, you know, talking about what they're going to be and what they're not going to be. You know, we talked to Matt Olson at the start of spring, and he told us about how, you know, he just got too wrapped up in video last year and, and, and got to him, got to his head, and now he's going back to more C-ball, hip-ball. Is this the year where Matt Olson truly breaks out and is a monster? Wow, that's amazing that you would ask me that because that was a question that was posed to me for the preview show. And I just feel that the amount of success that he's had uh, in a short period of time with his power numbers before he really even learned how to hit. I mean, remember Matt Olsen, he used to have his hands into his body. He came to the big leagues um, having success in the minor leagues with holding his hands next to his body. But, boy, they start picking him apart right away. And he made that adjustment when he took his hands away from his body. And, man, he's just been flicking out the yard ever since and becoming a better hitter. Uh, I know he's got a little uh, sour taste in his mouth about losing that gold glove to Evan White. 
and I think some of his offensive um, insufficiencies as far as average and stuff hurt that because Evan White didn't hit nothing. You know, he um, he is a good um, first baseman, but he is not Matt Olson. In my humble opinion, as a major league scout, defensively and what I watch, Matt Olson and what he did for Chapman, Marcus Simeon, um, Profar, anybody else that they put over their second base, he turned those guys into gold glove candidates at the Oakland Coliseum. He's the best in the business for me. And uh, I know that he wants to um, take a hold of that standing again. So I'm very anxious to watch Matt Olson this year for sure. Minor leaguers, by the time they get to spring, they haven't played in 20 months. How is this going to affect minor league baseball this season? Sad. Uh, it's sad, man. I mean, everybody's got a story to tell. I mean, we're talking about baseball, and there are people in real life that have some issues that we can't even comprehend. But since we're talking baseball, uh, just for example, there are multiple organizations that drafted kids in 2019 that did not even get a chance to put their uniform on in 2020 that are going to get released in 2021 because of the draft of kids in 2020. They just don't have enough teams. The, the, the commissioner uh, eliminated 40 affiliates. Therefore, there are 40 less teams to house 25 times 40 more players. So you do the math. So it, 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 it's some dreams that have been crushed. Uh, it's a tough business. Uh, I can remember as a kid just dreaming and wanting to be a professional and having to work my tail off and dream my tail off, sweat my tail off. Everything that I did when I was a kid as far as playing baseball, I dreamed it, I slept it, and that's what I wanted to do. Lo and behold, I got lucky. You know, I got an opportunity. And I didn't, I didn't take it for granted. Maybe with things being even more difficult now, our kids will understand that nothing is promised. Uh, they're going to have to dig a little deeper. They're going to have to be the best image of themselves and some, because once you get that opportunity, there's no one on the planet going to do anything to keep you from, uh, from, from wearing that professional uniform. So uh, it's going to be tough, man. It, it, the competition just got stiffer. I mean, there are kids, high school seniors that didn't get a chance to play their senior year. Uh, they're not getting a chance to be seen right now. So it's, uh, man. It's tough. It's tough on the young minor league like it's always been. But hang in there, bro. You know, you got to keep the faith. Uh, that's the wonderful thing about something. We all dream about being something, and who knows what's going to happen. But, it, 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 man, this is – 2021 is going to be great because there's going to be a lot of dreams that are going to be fulfilled. You're going to have to dust off all those suits. Oh, brother, look at here. I spent the last two weeks getting combos together. I got about 12 right now because I'm going to be on the road. I'm going to be traveling. I'm going to be getting it this year. So when I'm stopping in to get one, all I have to do is pick one off the, off the rack and it'd be good to go. So they ready, Tony. I'm ready to go, man. I've been waiting a whole year to get back, bro. Best dressed man in baseball. <laughs> Thank you, Tony. It's, I am just uh, – I am one of the most blessed dudes in the business. Just put it like that. I don't take nothing for granted. I know how wonderful a job that we have. Just to be able to call it a job is insane in itself. And for me to be saying that I've been a part of this for going on my 44th year is just, you know, out of this world, man. So um, you never know when it might be your last day, your last game, man. So you better wear it well. And just like my man always said, the great Sam Skinner, if you 
ain't going to be a good sport, don't play. I'm just trying to be the best sport I can be, bro. <laughs> I can't wait to see you, Shooty. I really can't. Likewise, Tony. I miss you, man. And uh, appreciate everything you've been doing to keep this stuff together, man. And people, I don't think they understand all the things that go on in the back room, trying to make things available for them. But uh, hang in there, A's fans. Uh, we thank you. You know, the ones that are in that Coliseum, you're loyal, you're tremendous. Uh, you make everybody feel like, you know, they're your favorite player, and that is a wonderful thing. So just hang in there, and I'm looking forward to seeing everybody at the Coliseum. And uh, I'm wishing the best and the most blessings for everybody out there that's listening. You are the best. We'll talk soon, hopefully Thursday. Thanks. Thank you, Tony. Tony, I'll be looking forward to it, baby. The great Shooty Babbitt right here on A's Cast Live. Yes. I will go on that limb. Best dressed guy in baseball. I'm trying to think of guys that dress well on TV for baseball, and Shooty does a fantastic job. Like, look at MLB Network. I mean, Harold dresses pretty nice on MLB Network, yeah. but like, yeah. let's just say local. Oh yeah, by far. I'm just trying to think if there's guys that dress well in baseball overall, not just. Like, not just local, I mean, all throughout the country, like guys that do. Like, you got to have, like, you got Bip Roberts. Yeah, Bip. Harold Reynolds. Like, a lot of these guys, are, I mean, if you look at Al Leiter, John Smoltz, I mean, they're just they're just suits. They're expensive suits, but they're not trying to be super flashy, <laughs> you know. Uh, Eric Burns usually had, a, when Burns he was doing MLB Network, he had a always had a unique look on TV is the best way to put it. Is he not? Is he not there anymore? No, I think he's doing. He's like he joined another like network or something, doing something else. Uh, I think he's still talking baseball, but I didn't really. I haven't really looked into uh, what the network is. But I don't. Uh, from what I remember seeing, he's not with the uh, from with MLB Network anymore. I like Burnsy. Actually, I'm going to look it up right now. Where 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 he's at? Well, I know he was in the documentary, the Lance Armstrong do documentary. He's been a, he's been palling around with Lance Armstrong. That's an interesting relationship. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Uh, he works for the No Filter. Is that what this is? No Filter. No Filter Network is what it's called. The heck is that? I don't know. They only have a thousand something followers on Twitter, but they're new. So Burns just started doing it. It looks like, uh, you know, in the last, I think it's less than the last year. It's the last couple months or so. But, yeah, he, he was always good on TV when he had, like, what, the suits and everything. So I saw something funny earlier talking about suits. It was a picture of, I want to say it was, like, batting stance guy on Twitter. One of the, someone put it out there, it was, like, happy birthday to the uh, genius behind the Oakland A's, Billy Bean or whatever. And it was a picture of Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt in a suit. And they were, you know, making, you know, obviously, you know, the whole Moneyball thing. But it was just funny seeing Brad Pitt's picture for Billy Bean's birthday. <laughs> Today was the last spring training game, right? Uh, there's some for the A's, yes. And there's some teams that are playing tomorrow. But for the A's, today was the last day. So, yeah, that's where you'll now have Ken, Vince, Ray making their way back up to the Bay. That's one thing I'm going to miss this year is no Bay Bridge series. That was always a. A fun, spirited series, you know, two in San Francisco, one in Oakland, and then get ready for the season. 
Well, I think that's what they were trying to do with these last two games, yesterday and today. But obviously it was played in Arizona, so it's nothing like the Bay Bridge series, but it was the A's and Giants playing. And, you know, it's funny – not funny, but it was, you know, it was unfortunate because uh, Mike Yastrzemski got hit in the hand today. He got an X-ray – he's getting X-rays done. That's the best player in the Giants lineup, and he got hurt in the last spring training game. God, they've had some bad luck. I remember Be- Bumgarner got a line drive back at him, hurt his hand. Was yeah. that two years, a couple of years ago? Yeah. Speaking of Bumgarner, uh, they did a list of the top 30 opening day starters. He's in the bottom five of the list. He's bottom five? He was 25 out of 30. But I thought he was a Hall of Famer. You know who last was? This is my favorite. <clears throat> And no, it wasn't. It was not the Pirates' opening day starter, which they got wrong in the article anyway. The, not the last guy is the guy that everybody loves from Detroit. They need to trade for him at the deadline because he he doesn't Miner? make any money. Matthew Boyd got a trade Matthew for him. Boyd. Yeah, dead last for opening day starters on the ranking system. Where was Bassey? Chris Bassey was fourteen, just one behind the Astros' opening day starter, Zach Greinke. Wow, it's cranky falling. Yeah, we we kind of you and I kind of talked about this yesterday. Um, who we don't really agree on who number one was on that list, but I mean, recency bias. Of course, you're going to go with this guy for number one. But Shane who Bieber, was number one? Shane Bieber was number one, the number one ranked opening day starter. I, I would put the Grom and Garrett Cole ahead of him, but maybe I'm just uh, I don't maybe I'm just being too nice. You Darvish was fourth on the list, so uh, you know. Over Scherzer? Scherzer was eight. First of all, if you if you if you said you can have anybody start opening day for the A's, who would it be? And if you don't pick Jacob Degrom, you're you're the, the guy's having one of the best stretches we've ever seen a pitcher have in the history of the game. In a time when balls are flying out of the ballpark at a record clip. And, and Hembo said it best. He has less innings pitched than Babe Ruth. So, I mean, and what he's doing with his velocity now, because he's getting older because he's, what, 32? He's going to be 33. He's actually older than Matt Harvey, who just turned 32. And Matt Harvey was pitching in the big leagues in the early 2010s. So that just shows you how long it took DeGrom to come up because he was a shortstop in college and develop it. Man, he's been an, on, on an unbelievable roll. He should have won his – it would have been his third straight Cy Young last year. Um, he's probably going to win it this year in the National League. Some people are going as far as saying he's going to win the MVP. But, I mean, he could win three Cy Youngs in four years, and it's unheard of for a guy that wasn't a pitcher his whole career. The last three ERAs, 1.70, 2.43, and 2.38. So he started pitching in 2014 only twice has his ERA been over three, 3.04 and 3.53. But the last three years, you're getting a guy who's giving you 32, 33 starts and absolutely blowing people away. So in 2019, our last full year, he pitched 204 innings and struck out 255 guys. Yeah. I mean, he he's just dominant. I mean, so you're you're, you're trying to take your t- you're giving me Bieber over Degrom. Nothing against Bieber, 
but he's not better than DeGrom. No, and the year before that, when Bieber or Bieber, the DeGrom when he had 255 strikeouts, he only struck out 269 the year before, and that didn't even lead baseball. Um, it eight's thirty. Uh, you know what the knock on him always is going to be, and you know what it is. He doesn't have any wins. The years one, the years he won Cy Young, ten wins, eleven wins. Now the Mets have an offense. Let's see how many. Can he get twenty wins? That's that's the number I strive for from him. Is Vinny calling us, or are we calling him? We're calling him. He's dri- I think he's driving back to the Bay Area for the for the season to start. So. All right, we'll call Vinny next right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Shamanaya. Shamanaya has no hit the Red Sox. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. I've never done the drive down to Arizona. I can't imagine it's a it's a quickie. I've done Vegas. But I got I I got to think that's an all dayer. I've never done it either. I've done the cross country drive, obviously, when I moved here, but never done Vegas. I think the farthest I've driven since I've been in California is from here to El, El, San Diego. I did drive to San Diego once. Oh, that's uh, that, that that sucks too. Yeah, it's not if it's not Arizona though. Arizona is probably like what thirteen hours, ten somewhere in there. It's double digits. Hello. How you been? Everything's good. Everything is good. Looking forward to it. It was nice to uh, do some games with the fans in the stands and sort of looking forward to that starting on Thursday night at home. No, oh, no doubt about it. <laughs> it's just the, the sound of the broadcast is so much better when you can hear the fans. Right. And we were so lucky last year with uh, Michael, Michael J. Bear, just because, of, you know, we're in the stadium – and there's nobody there, of course, but we hear the crowd noise that, you know, Amelia Schimmel and her great staff put together, MLB put together, and then when the team was on the road and we're sitting in an empty, col- literally an empty coliseum, you know, watching a game on a monitor and still having crowd noise in our heads, it really masked really the, uh, the emptiness of, of what the players were dealing with on a, on a game-by-game basis and how they had to provide their own, you know, oomph provide their own adrenaline to kind of get through these games. And I think it's just going to be so much better. And I think there's going to be so much more appreciation from the players and from the coaches to uh, what they'll get from the fans uh, starting on Thursday. So when you you leave spring training and you're thinking about the 2021 Oakland Athletics, what team is coming north? Well, a good one. Uh, you know, a competitive one, a team that is a playoff contender, uh, a confident team that I think with the moves that they made, the fact that they could uh, move around the Simeon scenario and, and make that play the way it did, and the, the great late signs they made with the pedigree of the guys they brought in, sometimes, you know, that's the final nudge to get a team over the top. I mean, this team's been in the postseason three years in a row. They haven't gone as far as they want, but they've got playoff experience, but they don't have that win-at-all experience. And you've got you know, three new guys that have that, or two of them do anyway, and, and Elvis has been there twice. So I think that does mean something, and I think that could be an important thing to pay attention to as the season gets underway. I want to see Jesus Lazardo rise. 
because they're, you look at the American League West, Tony, there really isn't a true ace. And there aren't very many in the American League as it is. I mean, you could say Garrett Cole and Hunjin Rio, and, and that might be it. I mean, there's so many more than that, and Shane Bieber, I guess, with Cleveland. But there's so many more in the National League. And I think the American League West will be determined by who has the better pitching season, Jesus Lazardo or the greatest wild card in the league this year, Shohei Otani. And for the first time, Astro players are going to see fans. And it's going to – what that mentally does to them for 162 games, I'm really looking forward to see how that plays out. Well, you go back to last year, Chris, and it affected Altuve without any fans because there was enough conversation about it in spring training. And then even though there weren't fans there, there was still enough, you know, filtered conversation about it that it affected his performance. And now it becomes live again, like you mentioned. There's going to be, you know, there's just going to be a lot of noise. It's going to come from every ballpark that they appear in. So how they deal with it, will be a, a challenge for Dusty and his staff. They're still, you know, obviously a very good team, and they've got a lot of talented players, and they still have Altuve, they still have Bregman, they still have Brantley. I mean, they're, they're good, uh, and they've got good young pitching. But now there's that added specter of just uh, every eye on every breath they take and letting them know that they're there. And how they react to it will be, I think, a, a storyline to pay attention to. Yeah, I mean, if someone's calling you a cheater every single game, I mean, that's a, that, to be mentally tough and to not have that bother you, I don't know how many guys have it in them. And then you go to the Angels, and we know they're, we know they're going to have offense, but my big question, and you've studied this, do, do they have enough pitching to get 27 outs on a nightly basis? Right, and I, and I think that's why it goes back to Otani because they scored enough runs even with him out of their lineup offensively. He did not have a good year offensively, but they needed his arm, and you know they need Dylan Bundy to prove that last year wasn't a fluke. They need Griffin Canning to step up. Uh, Alex Cobb has got to bounce back. You know they've, they've got a six-man rotation, so they're doing things differently there. They've got a new GM. It's like it's another do-over. And we know that Joe Madden likes to be creative, and sometimes he tends to get over-creative. And while I think it's going to be potentially very interesting, even on Sunday night, when the Angels are on Sunday night baseball against the White Sox, and Otani's pitching in that game, if Madden has the, uh, you know, the wherewithal to bat Otani first or second in a game that he's pitching, and that's going to be part of the storyline for them. And, and how that affects Otani physically, how it affects his pitching is how it affects him as a player day in and day out. And I think that's, that's fascinating. I mean, uh, we, we've, we've all done it at some level where you pick and hit in the same game. I just, I, I, I want to see it. Cause this kid, he's got these, he's got Babe Ruth skills. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. He can, he can throw a hundred and he can hit a hundred and that list ends at one. It's him. So <laughs> he is, he certainly is, potentially the most exciting player in baseball. Taking nothing away from Mike Trout or Fernando Tatis or Juan Soto or, you know, Ronald Acuna Jr., take your pick. They can't do the things that Otani can do. And the A's have seen it. They saw him as a dominant pitcher. They saw him as a tremendous force offensively. Now they'll have to see if he can put it all together. And most importantly, of course, 
he has to prove that he can stay healthy under the regimen that they've got set up. Uh, that is, to me, that is the ultimate wild card of, of the beginning of 2021. How much can they get from Otani? What will he mean to them? And how far can he take them this year? A report by ESPN today. I don't know if you were able to see it while you're driving, uh, but I guess the new ball is working. That runs and home runs were down this spring. Do you think that the whole ball controversy will play big? No, I don't. Uh, I mean, what, three feet? I mean, so Matt Olson hits it 411 feet instead of 415 feet. I mean, I, I think it's still the design of the swing with the angle of the bat that creates the ball going out of the ballpark. And I don't think the two or three feet is going to make that much of a difference. We'll see. I mean, we all want to see more action. There's no doubt about that. We want to see we want to see teams be more creative. We want to see teams put runners in motion. We want to see guys hit behind runners. We want to see uh, less uh, base hits being taken away because of shifts. I don't think all those things are going to change as dramatically as some people would like, you know, with a supposed change of the baseball. What what may happen is like we've heard, like with Shamanaya. Shamanaya has, has shown a, a development of a better breaking ball this spring. Dalton Jeffries, and we don't know this yet, if he makes the club or even when he gets back to the big leagues, if it's not now, part of the reason why is because he has developed a better breaking ball. Is that because the seams are higher and it allows him to get a better grip and a better touch on the ball and a better chance to develop that spin rate that, that allows the, the ball to be manipulated the way they want it to? I've asked on multiple occasions, Tony, on Zoom calls about the baseball, and I haven't got any kind of response. So... You know, either they're, they're downplaying it, they don't see it, or they just don't want to talk about it. At least that's the way it is in the A's camp. Other camps have said more things, but the A's have, have said basically nothing about the baseball. Yeah, well, it'll, you know, our first couple of night games. You know, let's let's yeah. see with, with the Marine Lair, and, it, it you know, it's going to be damp. See, see how the ball's, you know, see how the ball's flying when the sun's out and it's batting practice, and then see what it's like at 9 o'clock at night. Well, you know, the starting pitchers for for the first game use a breaking ball pretty distinctively. You know, Chris Bassett with that slow curveball, and he's added a slider. And Zach Greinke has had a great touch on a breaking ball for years and needs it more and more now that his velocity is down. So is the baseball allowing them to do things that gets the bat off the barrel that would decrease, you know, the discussion of, you know, the three-year outcomes and the home runs all the time and guys that should be hitting home runs or, or hitting them to the opposite field. We'll, we'll just have to, we'll have to wait and see. What, what will this opening day mean to you, do you think? I, it's like a rebirth. You know, I mean, it, it, it was such a different year in 2020. And when you look back on it and you look, look back on what the world has gone through, what our country has gone through. And we were still able in a very small way to, to do our jobs, limited, limited schedule, certainly uh, limited in the way that we could present our product, limited in the way that we could gather information, but somehow they got on the field and we still had a chance to see the athletes perform at the highest level. And that was rewarding. But it's still, you know, a, a sea of cutouts 
which was great for charity. And it was a very uh, intelligent marketing move by the A's and many clubs around baseball because it, it gave them a chance to still give back to their communities and be stewards in their community. I, I just think that the opening night with the fans there, I, I think the, uh, when the players take the field, there's just going to be a different sense of, of what they mean to them. And I'm not saying they, they didn't have an appreciation before, but I think that appreciation grows. And, you know, I can speak for myself. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky that I'm still doing it. I'm lucky that the game is there. Uh, I'm lucky that, that the sport found ways through protocols, through their health concerns, through the players and the coaches and the staffs, doing more than we probably will ever know that they went through last year just to get 60 games in to keep, to keep it, you know, moving down the field. And now we, you know, we open up on time. We open up, we believe, with a full schedule. And we open up with fans, not 100%, but it seems like that will grow as the year goes on. The world, our country specifically, is getting healthier. Uh, it's, the vaccinations are happening by the millions. Uh, I'm encouraged by that. I, and I just hope that, that that leads to some significant steps forward of, of everybody enjoying themselves again, enjoying the company of family and friends, enjoying human contact, just enjoying social activities. And maybe doing that will all be a little kinder to each other. And just remember what everybody went through and the unfortunate truth of how many lives were lost and how many people, I think we all had, I know, I know people that have passed away from it and I have lots of friends that experienced having the virus. Uh, fortunately with, with positive outcomes, but there were some that didn't. And that made it very real in my house, despite what other people might've been saying. I, I, I saw what it could do to families. And I just, I just hope that we look back on what we're all living through for, for a kid whose dad grew up in the depression, his mom grew up in the depression. I, you know, I, I think about what, what that was like. Well, now we've, we've lived through something that had, a lot of the same concerns, a lot of the drama, and we're not there yet, but we're a whole lot closer than we were this time a year ago, and I'm just so thankful that we have a chance to do it. Yeah, and we got to get, you know, and, and for my kids and getting them out of the house and getting their lives sure. back. I mean, it's uh, it, it's been brutal. All right, buddy, be safe with the drive. What do you got, about two hours left? I got a couple hours left, and I'll be uh, zooming in there and uh, looking forward to Thursday night. Take care. Be safe. All right, Tony. See you on Thursday. See you, Cody. That's the worst part of the drive, the last couple hours. Well, that drive, yes. Well, no, well, I can't speak from experience of the Arizona part of it, the drive on five, 100%. Yes, that drive, the last couple hours is bad. Because I went to Pismo over the weekend, but we took 101. The last hour and a half when you hit Gonzalez – and Salinas, and you're so, and you're still driving. You're like, oh, I still got an hour left. Come on. Then you hit Gilroy, and it's like, ah, oh, still 35 minutes left. It was only three hours. I know. Well, I don't drive anywhere, so that is true. I mean, that's we don't place I'm going. Thursday. Start on Thursday. Back at it. I know. Can't wait. And the only time I'll take off during the entire time is the All Star break for a bachelor party. Are we going to have an all-star game? We're supposed to. 
and it's supposed to be in Atlanta, but uh, I don't know all the particulars and the details about it. From what I've heard, they might take it out of Atlanta uh, or something for this bill that got passed in Atlanta. I have to read more about it. I don't know what's going, exactly going on, but it's supposed to be in L.A. next year, which we were supposed to be – we were going to go to the All-Star game in 2020 in L.A., but, of course, it's not happening until 2022. Remember, they did all those renovations to Dodger Stadium and – and everything, but they, they put a lot of money into Dodger Stadium. What what, what are they going to do with the NBA? Because I did I read this correctly? Like NBA players, are like whoa, you want us to have an All Star game? You guys claim you're worried about COVID nineteen. You want to have an exhibition game? Um, yeah, that already happened. Like that happened. I think it happened like two weeks ago. Did that actually go down? Yeah, they, they played it. They played in Atlanta. Yeah, that, that's. It tells you how much I've been paying attention to the NBA. Yeah, it, uh, if you didn't know, Steph Curry won the three-point contest. So that's all you need. They, I think they did the dunk contest at like halftime of the of the All-Star game. So that shows you how much people care about the dunk contest anymore. It's now the halftime entertainment for the All-Star game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's the thing. It's like, you know, if you preach – about COVID and what we have to do to beat COVID and all that kind of stuff. And then your sport goes, oh, but yeah, we need want to put a bunch of people together who haven't been with each other and do an exhibition game. So I'm just wondering, hopefully we'll all be vaccinated by that time. Because it's the week of like July 12th, the All-Star game. Yeah, because I'm leaving July 9th and that's the weekend before. So the All-Star game would be the 13th, I think. So 9, 10. Yeah, the All-Star game is July, July 13th. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk a little Rays baseball. Dwayne Stats has had an unbelievable career, whether it was the Yankees, now with the Rays, TV play-by-play man for the Rays. Always interesting to have him on the program. And we're talking about a team who's trying to defend their AL championship. The Rays are good. They've made some changes. We'll find out about them next right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to Ace Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. And also, don't forget, indoor dining is back in Walnut Creek. So you can sit inside safely at the chicken pie shop of Walnut Creek. But of course, we still have the outdoor patio. Because I know, Cody, you, you're, you're not ready to go inside and eat yet. Is that correct? Yeah, I haven't done it yet. I saw it when I went to Pennsylvania in September, they were doing inside stuff. And I was like, no, I'll sit outside. We, we just barely have outdoor dining in California. Don't, don't think I'm going to go jump 100 steps ahead and go inside. And then we went somewhere Friday night here in Japantown, where I live now in San Jose. And they're like, we're, we have a seat for you inside. And I'm like, whoa, 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 inside? And they're like, no, no, we mean like in our back, inside, like inside, not you waiting outside at a table, like inside our little back area in the back patio. So eventually I'll get back to that, but it's more of a safety thing for the fiance since she, even though fully vaccinated, working at a hospital, I'm still being a little pre, you know, a little cautious for her. That's cool. That's cool. The chicken pie shop, though, I'll, I'll go inside. Uh, I went inside uh, a Morton's downtown San Jose for my birthday. We ate inside. It was freezing cold. Where's that? <sighs> I, I, Morton, is that it's, where it, it, it's, it's the old McCormick and Schmitz. Okay. It is. Okay. I know you're talking about it's by, it's not, it's not the one by Scott Seafood, is it? That's on the, uh, it used to be near Scott's Seafood. Yeah. So it's right across from the park and it's on the same as the Fairmont. 
Oh, yeah, okay. I know what you're talking about. Exactly what you're talking about. Okay. Because I've been to Scott's Seafood before. I don't eat seafood, but I've been there. Oh, yeah. Get the Cajun ribeye if you go to Morton's. It's phenomenal. All righty. We've been going around to all the camps. Now we got to do the Tampa Bay Rays, the team who won the American League last year with a 40-20 and 20 record. Now, it, it, the pace they were on, it would have been 108 wins. That's how good the Rays were last year. 108 wins. They've lost some pieces. How good are they going to be in 2021? Here's Dwayne Stats. Well, it's great to hear your voice uh, getting ready for the season. How have you been? Chris, uh, I'll tell you, all things considered, we, uh, we've been very good. Um, you know, I, I think we've had uh, uh, a little more uh, ability to, uh, you know, move about the uh, confines than some. But, um, you know, we're all continuing to be, uh, to be cautious and uh, have some common sense about this. Well, this season for the Rays is going to be very interesting after going 40 and 20 last year. And if you looked at that for 162 games and they would have played at the same pace, they would have won 108 games. So obviously the Rays are going to be tough once again. But, you know, trying to repeat the American League after that short season, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. You know, it's going to be challenging. As challenging as a 60-game schedule was, I think going from 60 back to 162 will be the greatest challenge that these teams have faced maybe ever. I mean, when you think about what you could do over 60 games, and it was like uh, a mad dash. But as we know, it's a marathon, and now to readjust and get all the pieces in place to uh, make that happen, I I think it's going to be a challenge for a lot of these teams. And we'll see how it works out. I think versatility and depth are going to be, uh, you know, uh, I mean, talent wins out. But beyond that, versatility and depth, I think, will uh, play major factors. You know, last year in the postseason, obviously it was completely different in Texas than it was out here in California. So the Rays end up winning the American League without seeing any fans then they got to fly to Texas. They go to Arlington. Now there's fans, and the Dodgers have been staying in the same hotel, the same clubhouse. They've been playing in front of fans. What kind of advantage do you think that was for the Dodgers over the Rays? Well, I think there's, it, it's an advantage. There's no question about that. I mean, no one is really citing that and, uh, you know, making excuses. But I think common sense tells us that, you know, if, if you're in a position uh, such as the Dodgers were, that has to be an advantage. There's no question about that. And when you look at the Rays going forward this year, you've lost some pitching, but how do you see the team coming out coming out of spring? Well, I'll tell you, the big question right now uh, is going to be Nick Anderson because of the elbow issue he has. And they're thinking uh, with a partial tear in that elbow, uh, if they get him back in uh, August, uh, they uh, they would be pleased with that right now. I think they're going to do some PRP and some stem cell injections. There's uh, no talk about surgery in there, which uh, would be great for uh, both Nick Anderson and the team. Uh, you know, they're always creative, uh, this front office, 
And I think by the addition of uh, Waka and Hill, what they've done, uh, even McHugh, you know, to put them into a mix as, as they try to uh, combat the loss of innings from uh, uh, Blake Snell and uh, Charlie Morton, I, I think I think that will work out to replace some of those innings because of what they've done and the way they mix and match. And then and the pitching is deeper than just the uh, – you know, the, the, the crew they're going to break camp with. But my big concern is Anderson because he was the guy in the bullpen where they would identify whether it's the seventh, eighth, or ninth innings. They would identify the big spot in a game, and he was the guy to match in that spot. And so without him, uh, they're going to have to be as creative as they've ever been or they're going to have to find somebody who steps up. And this has happened before, uh, seemingly out of nowhere. But I, to me, that's the issue. I, I think everything else is going to be good. I, I think their offense is going to be good. Uh, I, I think, um, you know, they're going to catch the ball. They're going to do all the things that they need to do. Uh, but, you know, there's nothing worse than letting a game get away from you late or preserving that lead and shut the opposition down in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings of games. And so uh, that would be my concern right now for this team. Otherwise, I, I think they feel pretty good. Yeah, and they're going to get creative. They're going to have a lot of different guys throw a lot of different innings and kind of, you know, maybe getting away one through five in your starting rotation. Uh, talk about that strategy because if it works, you could see a lot of people going to it because you wouldn't be paying starters as big of money. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's been part of the uh, strategy here from the beginning. So it, with Glass now being the the opening day guy and the number one guy in that rotation and Ryan Yarbrough, those two guys will be treated close to, um, you know, regular, normal, traditional starters. And then beyond them, uh, I, I think having Walker here, uh, having Rich Hill here, having Archer here, and even uh, Colin McHugh, I think we're going to see openers in front of those guys. I, I, some, in some cases, they may be the starting pitcher, but I think uh, we're going to see the depth of the organization here. You know, they're going to start the year uh, with Josh Fleming not on the big league roster. So there's a guy who pitched extremely well for this club, and he's going to uh, – he, he's going to be one of the guys who they can call upon the Clanahan the same way, the way they did in the postseason last year. So uh, they're deep in pitching. Uh, they're going to start uh, with this uh, uh, 14-man pitching staff. So that means 12 position players. And, uh, and that's going to be their key. Uh, the pitching is deep in the organization, and, and that depth will be tested both at the major league level and for the guys who, who will not break camp uh, with the major league club. How much fun was it last year watching Randy Rosarena just blossom right in front of your eyes? Yeah, it's, what, a, what a great story it was. You know, the interesting thing about that, when you put up the numbers he put up, there's no way that he can duplicate that. So, you know, let's say he comes back, and I've seen projections where they figure – you know, during the regular season, if he plays uh, a full season and pretty much every day, 
you know, I, I think they're projecting him to hit somewhere around 270 with uh, in the neighborhood of 24, 25 home runs, which would be a great year. But everybody's going to always compare what he does for the rest of his career with this unbelievable finish that he had last year. And, um, and I mean, he'll take it. The Rays will certainly take it. But I think the reality is he's going to be a, a good player, and they hope that, uh, that he can come close to what he did. But I, I think we'll see some uh, normalcy and reality, which means, you know, he's, he's going to be a, a major asset to this club, and they're counting on that. Uh, they're going to start with uh, four outfielders with the Rosarena, Kiermaier, uh, Margot, and, uh, and Meadows. And I'll tell you, the guy who, who I look for is Margot. I, I, think he, I, think, I think he is poised to take the next step. He can play all three outfield positions. Uh, center field would be great for him if, you know, if, the, if Kiermaier weren't here and, you know, covers center field uh, from alley to alley. But uh, I like Margot, too. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of year he has. You know, everybody's got data and everybody, the way they implement the data can sometimes ruffle some players uh, wrong, you know, because you're taking at-bats, you're taking innings away. Kevin Cash, I would say this with Bob Melvin, someone has, someone has to manage the humans. Someone has to deal with these guys. And when you do some things, I mean, because obviously with like Blake Snell, um, yep. he wasn't happy. But but somebody's got to lead the ship. Just how good of a communicator is Kevin Cash? Yeah, uh, Cash is great in that regard. There's no question about that. And I think, I think what we've seen in the comments that uh, Blake has made uh, sort of underscores that point. Uh, he's, I saw where he said the other day that uh, there's always going to be a part of uh, the Tampa Bay Rays in him. And as difficult and as disappointing as it was for him to leave that game, and, and you know we're going to be talking about that forever, uh, I, I thought he handled it well. You wouldn't expect a guy to want to come out. He wanted to stay. And, and we can argue over whether and, – and Kevin is really good about that. I've had conversations on the air uh, with him um, about whether you, you take uh, Blake Snell out. And, and, you know, he appreciates the opinion of uh, people who criticized him. But he says that's the move that he thought that they had to make, that uh, they, they had done all year. And, and I guess my only uh, second guess to that and, and my initial reaction was, oh, no. But, but my, I guess my other reaction uh, to that is that at that time, and Nick Anderson, as we mentioned, had been the guy where they had gone to uh, in every critical spot, regardless of the inning. They didn't have to wait until the ninth inning to bring him in. But you could see uh, at that time that uh, – what he was doing was pitching on guts as much as arm strength. And, uh, and so I, I think if there was a, a criticism to be had, that would be it. But, but Kevin Cash is, is a great communicator. He's, I think he's a great manager. Uh, I, I love a guy who uh, is straightforward and who, you know, you can disagree with or agree with, and he's the same either way. And so you're right. I like Bob Melvin 
with uh, with the A's. Somebody's got to make those decisions, and they're not traditional baseball decisions going forward. And um, so we'd better get used to it. That's the way it is. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Let's end on this. As I, I always say, Tampa and Oakland are, are so similar with, 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 with how they play the game and then the, the problems off the field with getting a stadium. They're very similar. Uh, we're working on ours out here. How are things going there either with St. Petersburg or Tampa Bay? Well, uh, you hear ideas floated. I don't believe that there's anything, at least to my knowledge, if, and uh, that would be concrete right now. Um, if, if they are, it's the biggest secret that anybody's ever had. Um, you know, they, the club and the ownership continues to talk about pursuing the split season with Montreal and Tampa Bay, and that would include building a new ballpark uh, right now in St. Petersburg and that plot of land that Tropicana Field is on uh, is, is big enough and is a crucial area for the development of, of the continued development of downtown St. Petersburg. So they're talking about development plans to be made, and that's pretty imminent. I, I think we probably, I know there's some ideas on the, uh, on the uh, board, and we might actually see some blueprints at some point uh, developing that acreage with a ballpark there and, and one without a ballpark there. I think that's where they are. Uh, they're going to have an election here. They're going to have a new mayor. Uh, we'll see what happens out of that administration. Uh, it was pretty status quo with this one. There was conversation back and forth, but nothing really moved forward. And so I, I, think, um, I think right now that there's discussion about ballparks in uh, – in two cities and dividing the season. Now they have a lot of hurdles to, uh, to overcome in that regard. One would be with the players association, uh, but you know, who knows? I, I guess the biggest uh, and most succinct answer I could give you is who knows. <laughs> I know how you feel. <laughs> We've been doing the same yeah. thing for years. Hey, it's great yeah. to hear your voice. Be safe, be well, and uh, can't wait till we get to see you again. I know. I, you, uh, same to you, and I'll tell you, it's a different world, but uh, when that day comes, we'll look forward to it. Good luck to you guys. Okay, Chris. Thank you. They have, like, the nicest broadcasters. I mean, their guys are just, they're chill, they're good, but they're just the nicest guys. Now, there's some broadcast teams that think they're uh, really, really cool. But these guys, so accommodating, whether you're at their place or out west with us. I've always liked having all the, all the different Rays guys on. Yeah, we usually use either Dwayne Satz, who we just talked to, Dave Wills, the play-by-play voice. Uh Brian Anderson, no, not Brian Anderson from the Rays and NBA on TNT. Brian Anderson, the former big leaguer for the Rays. So we have a lot of guys, and sometimes we get Carlos Pena to come on too. Former Arizona Diamondback. Yeah, who won a World Series with the Diamondbacks. So knows Melvin real well. They have a they have a good broadcasting setup, and I, I really enjoy those guys. Dave Wills does a really good job as their lead guy on the radio too. So. Because I would listen to a lot of their games over the national stuff during the World Series last year. So, because I mean, because we got we got to know Dave Wills. We met him at Oakland. We we every time we see you know we have a chance to connect with him, we do. And same with Dwayne Stats. I mean, Dwayne Stats went from calling Yankee games 
They're like, you know what? I'm going to go call the Rays. What? Who leaves New York to go call Tampa Bay Rays games? And he's been the only guy they've had on TV since their inception, what, 1998? Well, yeah, because he becomes the guy. Yeah, he's the guy. And he is a great voice. Uh, Dina always says uh, how much she enjoys um, hearing his uh, his home run calls and stuff because she likes his voice. So you got a fan of a guy who doesn't even watch the Rays but likes their broadcaster. What a – what what are the Rays gonna do when they start implementing all these new rules? Because the the Rays, you could say the Rays have been the devil of all this four or five outfielders, crazy shifts. You know, they were one of the original teams. To, hey, this is what we're gonna have to do to win. What I mean, what's gonna happen when they say, nah, you're gonna have to have two. Infielders on the left side of second and two on the right side of second. Spike's got to be in the dirt. I think there's uh, – they'll figure a way out. They're really innovative when it comes to stuff like that. I'm more concerned about with them, just as a baseball fan and a guy that's followed their organization for years. I mean, you're going back to when Andy Sodestein was their best pitcher. I was watching the Rays when they were going through their rebuild. They – they got to find a way to get these innings out of these pitchers. Now, Dwayne mentioned how Josh Fleming's on, on the roster. He's a swing guy. He's a starting pitcher. He pitched in the postseason last year for them, and he didn't make the roster going into this year. I mean, can you trust Tyler Glassdown to get you 200 innings? I'm going to go no, and that's not me being a, for, you know, a Pirate fan that's jaded because of the, what happened in that deal with Archer. But, I mean, you got guys like Archer who's back there, Michael Waka who can't stay healthy. Uh, Rich Hill, another guy can't stay healthy. Yarbrough is coming back off an off an injury, but I, I always liked him as a guy to pitch after the opener. Well, they they they're, they're I mean, really after Glass now, it's just let's find a bunch of guys that can get us a hundred innings. Yeah, and that's what I want to see if they do that. If they have the the eight to ten guys, including Glass now, to get a hundred innings for them, because we mentioned some guys. Then you got Colin McHugh. Nick Anderson is going to be a big part for them, but obviously he's going to be out till the All-Star break or potentially even later. You still got Diego Castillo and Peter Fairbanks who both throw 100 miles an hour. But they got to find starting pitching at some point. I know the the opener could come back into play for them, and that's something they could do. But I, I just – I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to throw Peter Fairbanks out there to start the game for you, then you don't have him to pitch later in the game? Like, that that's just silly. So guys like Chaz Rowe and stuff become more important for them who they brought back. And he's he's deadly out of the bullpen too with his slider, but they they really need to figure out their starting pitching before anything because their offense stunk last year too. Let's they had one of the worst batting average. They had the second highest K rate in baseball. Uh, are, you, are you ready for this? Not one, not one sack bunt for the Rays in twenty twenty. That does. If it was any other not team, one. If it was any other team, I'd be surprised. But since it's the Rays, I'm not surprised whatsoever that they don't they didn't drop any bunts down. But and how about this? Six oh seven, Rays winning percentage in the regular season and postseason games started by Charlie Morton and Blake Snell. Yeah, it, it, six oh seven. They lost. I mean, they 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 lost a lot. And this is this is the get, but you know what? That's this is the, that's what these teams do. And you mentioned earlier today about customs. Yeah, I can tell you, customs in Canada they do not make it easy 
I've only flown I've only flown to Mexico once and it was uh you're right. It's it's one of those things like the play, I don't see the players wanting to go through that all the time. They go play home games. Like yeah, the, the Jays been in in Toronto for 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 decades. So it make, it's different where the Rays first year it's like, "Hey, we're going to play in Montreal for half our games." And the players are like, "What? Why?" I mean, yeah. like they're they're agreeing to it, but it's just if I if I was a player, which I'm not, but if I was, I don't know how I'd feel about having to travel to another country to play my home games 81 times a year. Or will not be half, so it'll be yeah. 40. That'll be 41. Well, it depends on where you play. Are, are you are – you, is Tampa getting 40 or 41 games? And, like, how do you split it? Because you figure 81 home games and you split that in half. It's really 40 and a half, but you don't play half games at home. So, I mean, if you're them, you're probably playing 41 and, games in Montreal. And you got to get – you got to get – you're going to have your primary residence. And if that's not in St. Pete, you know, let's say you live in Arizona, you're going to have to get a place in St. Pete, and you're going to have to get a place in Montreal. Or are you just going to live in a hotel? Be a nomad? Now, I could do, hey, by the way, I could do that. I would have no problem doing that. I like coming back to my room and having my bed made and new towels. And they're, not, and they're not staying at bad hotels, man. They're staying at Mickey Morabito does not have the A's staying in bad hotel. We stay in great hotels. Good restaurants. But, yeah, I mean, you're not you're, – you're, 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 Basically, everything's a road game then because it's not truly home. You don't have home. You don't have, like, the Oakland Coliseum is where you're going to play. This now is kind of like, you know, okay, sometimes we're here, sometimes we're in Montreal. So it starts making everything like a road game. Yeah, look at the Jays this year. I mean, the Jays are going to go through that, playing in Florida and then potentially playing in Buffalo and then maybe playing in – Toronto, I mean, we'll see. I mean, I know Major League, there was an article, a report out from Bob Nightingale and others earlier today about the, um, the protocol, you know, being lessened for players and stuff after the vaccinations and stuff like that. But still, I mean, is that, does that mean Canada's going to let the Jays go play back, back in Toronto? I, I mean, I, we, we have no idea. I mean, because the NHL is still not – I mean, they have that whole thing set up where it's just the Canadian teams are playing each other and there's no going back and forth and – I did see that they did change the quarantining for for that if you're going to the United States and back. Um, it's it's it went from 14 days to I think seven, so they they took off a week. But I, the Jays so are what, 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 what are they going to do with the how what how are they going to do the playoffs? Uh, I was thinking about that earlier too because I I remember when they did all the divisions and they talked about this how it's going to work, but you're going to have to figure out a way for it to work where because you can't have the Canadian teams play each other in the playoffs too. Because there's still an East and West conference. I know there's different. They play. I think it's now it's the East, the Central, the North, and then the West. So uh, hockey will figure it out. But it's just it's just wild. But the Jays are the team to watch, and they could be, you know, two years in a row where they essentially don't have a home. I mean, I know they played in Buffalo, but they don't actually have a home ballpark like Rogers Center. That's something the Rays could kind of learn from watching how they do it, especially this year if they don't get to go back to Toronto. They could be. They could be the best team in New York. The Buffalo Jays. 
They could be the best team in Florida and then be the best <laughs> team in uh, – I think eh. – maybe – okay, but just think about it. If they're playing X amount of games in Florida and they get out to a hot start, they could be the best team in Florida and then go play in Buffalo and be the best team in New York if the Yankees aren't that great. Wow. Check shot, it out. Shots fired at the Mets. When the Mets start winning, that's when I'll believe, okay? I'm tired of this hype train every year, the New York Met hype train, and next thing you know, uh, the Atlanta Braves are winning the division. Yeah, for what would this be? I forget how many years in a row it would be if the Braves win it again. And the Yankees, uh, we always talk about how, oh, man, Judge got hurt, or oh, man, Stanton's hurt. Hey, neither of those guys are hurt right now. Now it's just their best home run hitter, Luke Voigt, who's not going to start the season. It's always someone with the Yankees that gets hurt. Before the season starts. God, but think about that for the Jays. You're going to play in Florida. Then you're probably going to go play in Buffalo. And then maybe, just maybe, towards the end of the season, you're back in the Sky Dome. Or Rogers Center, whatever the hell it's called. Yeah, Rogers Center. That is so nomadic. That is just, I mean, you've got to be tough-willed to be successful in a, a scenario like that. The, a good thing for them I guess it's good and bad. It's good that all their players, their relative, their core is very young. You know, except for like, you know, Marcus is one of their older players because their infield's really young, their catcher's young, their outfield's young-ish. Gritchick's up there. He's like, they're almost 30 if he's not 30. So you got those guys. So you got a lot of young guys that could go through this. But then again, you have a lot of young guys that aren't don't have the veteran. That's why adding Marcus is even more important now and George Springer. Veteran leaders that can get them through this. If it was just all those young guys with minus those guys, it'd be a completely different story. And I know they did it last year, but it was only 60 games. Those The veteran leadership that the Jays have with some of these guys they brought in the last few years is going to help them tremendously through this. I mean, if you're the Blue Jays, you got to be like, from a business standpoint, the money they must be losing. Yeah, that's something the player that's something the players union probably isn't too thrilled about when you start talking about, hey, we're gonna have these teams playing all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Half 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 your games are on the road, half your your other half are, are, are in Tampa, St. Pete, and the other half in Montreal. That just does not sound like continuity at all to me. No. And that's like a nightmare. Hey, well, I was gonna break this to you earlier, but we got into this. You know, you know who we can ask about this on Wednesday? The the conductor of the East Coast bias train, our friend Buster Olney, is apparently going to join us on Wednesday. So oh, we can, nice. So I just got the email because our, so our game on Thursday night is on ESPN. But I, I'm assuming they're just giving us Buster just because I've, I've asked for him in the, like, in the last month or two and we haven't gotten him. And our game's on ESPN that um, Thursday night because I think the first game was Mets with Nationals and Buster was talking about how he's going to be there for that. So – Hopefully, and it will be cool to catch up with Buster, and we can ask him all this stuff because, you know, no one knows more about the East Coast and the teams, you know, the play on that side than Buster. And, and the Angels. <laughs> yeah, and the Angels, yeah. And the Angels. All these East Coast guys like the Angels. It's unbelievable. Coming up next, a little green and gold history right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. James Feldman is our A's historian. He's a Major League Baseball scorekeeper. He's a TV producer. 
He's a man that does a lot of things. And how did we come up with this list, Cody? Well, it mainly came down because you and I talking about, like, how good Blake Trinan was that year and Barry Zito in 2002. So I text Felding and said, what do you think about doing the top ten um, single-season performances by ace players? And he took it one step further and did it. said, let's do it by each position. So that's how we kind of came. It was a collaborative effort on all of our parts on this one. I liked it. It's really good. Here's our buddy, Feldy. I got to be honest with you. I can't wait to see you on Thursday. It's going to be fabulous. I mean, it has been a long time since we all have seen each other, and I think it's just going to be one of the cool moments of our career. Well, you've already been back to the ballpark, but for guys like Cody and I, we haven't been to the yard since 2019. I know. I know. It's just funny as you seeing the world sort of open up again and you're seeing places that, that you haven't been able to go and now you're finally able to experience it again. You really hit home how much you miss it. Uh, yeah, and I was lucky enough to go to the games last year, but to have fans back, even at a limited capacity to begin with, and have other people being able to enjoy this team and be there and be part of this community of, of A fans, it's really special. It's something I really missed last year. And of course, just hanging out with you and everybody else is normal part of the ballpark experience. To have everybody back again is pretty special. All right, we're going to be doing our top 10 best single seasons uh, by position. Uh, who is your honorable mention? So we'll kind of go through each position, and we'll pick an honorable mention at that position, and then who I think had the best season. How about that? All right, there's been a lot of MVP years. There's a lot of good seasons. I mean, there's been a lot of standout individual seasons in the history of Oakland A's baseball. And as we go through this list, you'll see there's a couple of them that are really, in my opinion, too close to call. I'll make a decision, but I can see an argument either way for a lot of these guys. All right, let's start at catcher. So catcher, honorable mention, is not Ray Fossey. Uh, Sorry, Ray. Uh, (laughs) Honorable mention is a guy who kind of took Ray's job at catcher in a strange way, and that's Gene Tennis. See, in 73 and 74, Gene Tennis played a lot of first base because Ray Fossey was your catcher. But come 75, Clyde Washington had established himself that he was going to be a star. So he goes to left field. That moved Joe Rudy to first. And that pushed Gene Tennis to catcher and pushed our friend Ray to the bench. But in 75, Ray had, uh, Gene had a tremendous season. I mean, he already showed power in 73 and 74, of course, the 72 World Series. But in 75, it all came together as a catcher, 29 homers, 87 runs batted in, always had the great eye, 106 walks. So Gene Tennis is our second-best season by an A's catcher. Who is the best? Number one by an Oakland catcher was Terry Steinbach in 1996. Steinbach set the American League record for home runs by a catcher at 34. He actually had 35 total. One was his DH. 34 as a catcher. That record was eventually broken by Pudge Rodriguez in 99, but no one had ever done that before in the American League. 35 homers. He also drove in 100 runs. He hit 272. Uh, he was stunning. You know, 96, the ball was, was flying for the A's. They had a lot of home runs, and it was fun to go to the ballpark to see these guys just mash. And, and Steinbach just had this power surge that year and clutch. A lot of clutch homers. And, and the best part is going to the, the final Saturday of the season. Everyone knows Stein needs one home run to set the, the record for catcher by an American League catcher. 
and one RBI for 100. So what did you do in the bottom of the sixth? He homers, rounds the plate, picks up his gear, goes in the clubhouse, gets dressed, goes, hops on a plane, goes back to Minnesota. He was done with the game. <laughs> homers, goes in the run, gone. Oh, man, that, 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 that's a monster year for a catcher. All right, let's go to first base. Now, first base, is, this is a lot of debate. I'm still debating myself about this, to be honest. You're My honorable mention <laughs> is, uh, is Mark McGuire, and you could pick your season. Uh, obviously, he had the rookie year of 49 homers, which was great. But in 96, I mean, he was just a monster. That was full-blown McGuire at his peak with the A's. He had 312. You know, this is a guy who barely had 200 just, what, six years before in 91. Now he had 312, 52 homers, 113 runs batted in, a slugging percentage, which is still the Oakland record, of 730. I mean, this is, this is peak McGuire in 1996. And uh, if he had not, he missed the first week of the season. Uh, that's the year the A's opened up in Vegas. If he had played those six games in Las Vegas, he might have had 60 that year, without a doubt, because the ball was flying out of Vegas when we started the year. Um, but still, a huge season, but still, to me, not the best by an A's first baseman. And, and that goes to Jason Giambi. Yeah, I Giambi. Torn. <laughs> yeah, totally torn. I mean, just, and, it's, and now it's down with Giambi. Is it the 2000 season or the 2001 season? Because he won the MVP in 2000, hit 333, huge OPS over 11, 43 homers, an Oakland record 137 RBI. In 2001, he hit 342 Oakland record, 477 on base percentage, Oakland record, still hits 38 homers, 120 runs batted in, should have won the MVP. They gave it to Ichiro, and uh, we've talked about this before. Ichiro was a new shiny object. Everybody loved him. The Mariners won 115 games, and Giambi was the better baseball player in that year as far as run production. Uh, so either 2000 or 2001 season, maybe I got to lean 2000 just because he, he won the MVP that year, but just monster season back-to-back by Giambi. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Those numbers are incredible. All right, second base. Second base, our honorable mention is Mark Ellis in 2007. Uh, and only at that point, he established himself as a top-flight defensive second baseman. A year before, he had two errors. But in 2007, the bat came with it. He hit 276, 18 homers, drove in 76, 33 doubles, still only made five errors in 150 games. Still a crime that he ever won a gold glove. I mean, he was, he was top. He was one of your top AL second basemen. And that 2007 season was right there. Are you going Jed Lowry? Jed Lowry has to be. And again, two unbelievable seasons at second base for the A's um, in 2017, 2018. But I got to go 2018 Jed Lowry, uh, 37 doubles, 23 home runs, 99 runs batted in, no PS over 800. And just, he made every play in the field that year. And just a leader on this ball club. I just, 2018 Jed Lowry is one of the best second base seasons, not just in Oakland, but as far as completely all around in the last 30, 40 years, it's right up there. Oh, I mean, just an extra base hit machine. It was just incredible. We're, we're putting together a good lineup here. All right, shortstop. So this is, this is my toughest one. And I really, 
you could go either way. And I actually had a conversation with Ken Korak about this yesterday, and we, we talked about it a little bit. Uh, so it's, I don't know if you can see it's an honorable mention. It's one or the other. And it's, it's two greatest seasons by an age shortstop, 2002 Miguel Tejada, 2019 Marcus Simeon. And these years were so similar. Uh, Tejada hits 308, sets an Oakland record with 204 hits, 34 bombs, 30 doubles, 131 runs batted in, just off the chart. And we know the, the clutchness during the winning streak and, and winning the MVP. And look at Simeon. Simeon hits 285, 33 homers, 43 doubles, ties the Oakland record at 123 runs, and drives in 92. You say, well, 131 RBI for the 92 for Simeon. That's, that's a huge difference. That's 40 runs. Yeah, but Simeon's batting leadoff. He drove in 92 runs as a leadoff hitter. And that means every game, and he played every game, that's 162 plate appearances. He was guaranteed to bat with nobody on base. And he still drove in 92 runs. So, I mean, those two years are just, they're so mirrored at each other that it, it's really so close to call. Where are you going? I got to go to Hada just because he won the MVP. Simeon finished third. Uh, and and living through that streak and having to take over for that team. Giambi's gone now. Someone had to step up and fill that vacuum. And Hada did it. And he did it in such a huge way. And and I'm a sucker for clutch. I, I love clutch. And Tahada was every bit of it that season. Yeah, that's like A and B. It's a, that's a really tough call because March's season was truly one of the greatest seasons of, of any A. Forget just Oakland A, any A, going back to Kansas City and obviously Philadelphia. All right, third base. Third base, our honorable mention, uh, two honorable mentions. We're going to have Matt Chapman in 2018, and a lot of that's because of his defense. And his war when he fell in his defense was 8.1. And he's just off the charts defensive numbers with the metrics and everything. Very solid offensively, no doubt. But the defense was just off the charts. And then Josh Donaldson in 2013, where he's 301, 24 bombs, 93 runs batted in. And this is a guy who in 2012 was still catching. Like he caught two games for the A's in 2012. In 2013, now he's established himself as the everyday third baseman, and he was just he was fantastic all the way through and a real leader on that ball club. Yeah, you remember he came up for what, like two games, and I think they were both at the Sky Dome. Yeah, he had, you know, it was funny because he came up originally as a catcher when, when uh, Bob Guerin was still the manager. And in 2012, he's, he's in Japan with us, and they really have a position for him. He's been a catcher, he's going to play third. And he was struggling either way. And again, even in the midseason, like you said, in Toronto, he's catching a couple games. I mean, he really didn't establish himself as a third baseman till the end of the 2012 season, near the end of August, after the Brandon injury. Uh, but by 2013, he established himself as an all-star caliber player. Yeah, and I'll never forget when he got sent down and he was hitting like 0.8-something, and he called my talk show. On 95.7, they got, hey, Josh Donaldson's on the line. I'm like, really? He called me on his way back to Sacramento because he wanted to talk college football. He's the greatest guy. <laughs> that's, you know what, that's awesome. I mean, you love hearing that. And he's, he's going to do big things for the Twins this year. I have a feeling that's a really good team in the Central. Uh, we're going to battle the White Sox. But Josh Donaldson's the type of player 
uh, he's healthy and on, and his personality, he can carry the team. All right, who do you got third? So my third baseman is Sal Bando, Captain Sal in 1969. This is second year in Oakland, but Sal hits 281, 31 homers, 113 runs batted in, 111 walks, scored 106 runs. I mean, we've talked about Sal Bando on this show many times about how underrated he was. Uh, and, you know, even in 69, he gets overshadowed by Reggie Jackson and Reggie's 47 homers. But 31 home runs at the Coliseum, which played so much bigger in 1969. Uh, and the way the pitching was, yes, the mound was lowered that season, so numbers went up. But still to have that type of power in an era where those are huge numbers. Those are really big numbers, especially if you try and correlate it to today's numbers. Uh, and he's Captain Sal, and he just gets overlooked so many times. And I'm not overlooking this season. This is this is huge numbers by a third baseman in 1969. Steinbach, Giambi, Jed, Miguel, and Bando. That's not a bad infield. Let's go to left field. Left field. Honorable mention is Joe Rudy. Uh, you know, obviously a great left fielder in A's history. And 74 out there. It's 293. 22 bombs, drives in 99, wins a gold glove, finishes in top five in the MVP. Just a solid player. Uh, you know, another guy who, as time goes by, we need to really appreciate what Joe Rudy was and what he meant to this franchise. And we didn't have the, the Hall of Fame last year, the Oakland Hall of Fame. Um, hopefully we do maybe two classes this year. And, and Joe Rudy and Sal Bando have to be on in these next classes because that, that's where they are in Oakland history. They're Hall of Famers. Oh, no doubt about it. Who are you starting? So, is Ricky. And Ricky could have honorable mention in 81 or in 80, but his 1990 MVP season, again, for a leadoff hitter, just numbers you don't see. Hits 325, might have won the batting title. He finished second to George Brett, and George Brett didn't play against lefties at all in September of 1990. He's basically sitting on his lead. Uh, good for George Brett, kind of robbed Ricky. Ricky should have won the batting title if, if George had played every day. Uh, but Ricky, a 439 on base, 577 slugging from a leadoff hitter, 28 homers, stole 65 bases, scored 119 runs, just the best player in baseball. Beat out Cecil Fielder and his 50 homers for MVP. And just, he was Ricky. And that was, again, we talk about peak playing. That's peak Ricky. He was determined. He was focused the entire season, and there was nobody better than Ricky Henderson in 1990. Cecil Fielder hitting the ball out of Tiger Stadium. Out of Tiger, Dave Stewart out of Tiger Stadium. God, you remember like like he was a Blue Jay, then he went and played what in Japan, and then he comes back and he's just a monster. Monster, quick wrist, quick wrist. He was for such a big guy. He was so quick with his hands. Center field. Center field's tougher. Uh, we haven't had any real monster seasons out of center fielders in Oakland history, but a couple that stand out, and this one just comes a little short, and that's Dwayne Murphy. Uh, and I picked his 1980 season, uh, batting second behind Ricky, such an important position in the lineup. And Murph drew 102 walks, and he's taken a lot of pitches. You know, he's got Ricky on. He's going to take pitches to let him steal the bases. But Murphy had a really discerning eye, so 102 walks. Murph also stole 26 bases himself. He also laid down 22 sacrifice bunts, and he wins a gold glove in center field. I mean, Dwayne Murphy, 
he had a bigger home run year in 83 power started developing, but, but in 80 as a number two hitter, he was the prototypical number two hitter. So good in that spot, batting behind Ricky. Are you going Hindu? I'm going Hindu in 1988, his first season with the club, a guy who, when he signed with the A's was thought of as an afterthought, right? He had just come off ending the 87 season with the giants. Wasn't playoff eligible for that team. They just, it's another guy, but he just has a monster year. And to me, probably the best offensive year for any Oakland center fielder. He hit 304, 24 home runs, 38 doubles, 94 runs batted in. Again, he hit a lot of times. He hit the two hole a lot behind Luis Peloni and Cardinal Anford that year. Cause Tony LaRusso liked having a power hitter in the number two spot. Um, and the great center field work that he did, just tying everything together. And, you know, Hindu had an all-star year a little later in the early 90s, but that 88 season, what a way to make your debut with Oakland and just have a monster year. I think right field's probably pretty easy for you. Right field, you know, you got got two guys who names in Oakland, right? So my honorable mention here is Reggie. Reggie in 69, as we mentioned, 47 homers. He had 37 homers before the All-Star break. So all the Roger Maris talk started, and was Reggie going to break the record, the whole deal? And the pressure got to Reggie, admittedly. He himself had been pressure got to him. He only had 10 homers the rest of the year. Uh, still, 47 homers, 118 runs batted in, scored on three runs, fantastic. Reggie was also great in 73 when he won the MVP. Probably was even off to a better season in 74 uh, before he got hurt in the clubhouse fight. Um, but the number one season by a right fielder in Oakland history, the first player to ever do it, 40 homers, 40 steals, 1988 Jose Canseco, the first 40-40 man. He had his own phone number. You can call and talk to him. Uh, <laughs> 307 average. I mean, again, Jose, he cared so much that year. The two-strike approach, shortening his swing. And he was still so dangerous with a shortened swing because he was so strong. The 40 steals, an OPS of 959. Oakland record, 347 total bases. It was the full package. And Jose played good defense in 88. You know, he played mostly left field with the A's before that season, but 88, he's your everyday right fielder, and he played really well out there. And just We've never seen anything like it. Never have we seen a year like Jose had in 1988. And, and the difference between his 40-40 and, like, Bonds and A-Rod, those guys were all on bad teams. He's doing this on, 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 a, on a playoff-bound team. And you had never seen a guy of his size stealing 40 bases, right? His, his sake was huge. And he was so big. And to see him rumbling towards second base at the speed that he could generate. Um, you know, Barry, when he was doing it, was a little slimmer than he was. A-Rod was always a freak athlete and good for him and Alfonso Soriano. Uh, but Canseco, a guy that big, we just not seen that before. And you're right. He did it in games that mattered. Every game mattered in that 88 season where he won 104 games. And he, uh, he was just, he was phenomenal. DH. DH. So this one, I had to think about it a little bit because Chris Davis in 2018, 48 homers, 123 RBIs. Uh, he had 247. I didn't know if you knew that, but he had 247. Uh, Monster year, but to me, the greatest DH year, and the year that probably put him solidly in the Hall of Fame, and that was Frank Thomas in 2006. And one of my favorite years to watch a player 
and do what he did. And I always say it was a Hall of Famer doing Hall of Fame things, right? He hit 39 homers, drove in 114, and that just tells part of the story because he got off to such a bad start. Uh, but after May, after the trip back to Chicago, he was rolling. And it was just, again, clutchness. You're down by a run in the bottom of the eighth, and Frank Thomas comes up with a man on. Frank hits a two-run homer. And then you go to the ninth, Houston Street closes it out, and the A's win. It just seemed to be the script for that team because Frank did Hall of Fame things. Uh, every time you needed something, you did it. Game one of the playoffs against Yolanda Santana, home run. Just it was Frank. It was the best year that I can remember watching a guy just be a Hall of Famer. And, and he really was. It, was. it was a pleasure to watch. I mean, this lineup, can you imagine this lineup? Steinbach, Giambi, Lowry, Tejada, Bando, Ricky, Hindu, Canseco, and Frank Thomas? Yeah, you put it up against pretty much anybody, wouldn't you? <laughs> I mean, well, I mean... I always, I've, I've always thought Conseco should be a Hall of Famer. You got Ricky's in the Hall of Fame. You got Frank in the Hall of Fame. Giambi, uh, you could make a case, but I mean, this is a big, powerful lineup, and w- w- and, and you'd have the greatest leadoff hitter getting you going. Did you do any pitching? Yeah, I gave you a starting pitcher and a relief pitcher, and you know we've had some obviously some wonderful seasons by starting pitchers. You know, Zito winning a Cy Young in 2002, Bob Welch a Cy in 1990, winning 27, Catfish, Cy Young, 74, 25, and 12, 23 complete games. But nobody comes close or as dominant as Vita Blue in 1971. Uh, He won the MVP in the Cy Young. He went 24 and 8. His ERA was 1.82. He threw 312 innings and struck out 301 batters, threw eight shutouts. More tickets were, were, were bought on the road to watch a Vita Blue Pitch game than any other player. Uh, he was, you know, the face of baseball that year, starting the All-Star game, and just dominant. The Blue Blazer, Vita Blue in 71, untouchable. Yeah, it was, a, it was I mean, he was a rock star. He, you know, on Time Magazine, Newsweek, I mean, he was everywhere. I mean, that's when being on magazines was a big deal. Now, this this one for me is going to be tough for you because obviously things have changed over time for relievers, and you got a, a couple Hall of Fame relievers that had some lights out years. Yeah, you know, and, and Raleigh was great, and he did his job, and it was a different sort of way of closing right you'd pitch more than one inning you'd pitch two or three so he didn't have the sparkling era uh, he had the innings pitched obviously but he just didn't have that dominance and to me the two most dominant relief well relief pitchers who had the seasons uh, one guy had a bunch of dominant seasons is, is blake trinan in 2018 and then of course Eck. And, and blake trinan in 2018 0.78 era 100 strikeouts in only in 80 in the third innings. He served, saved 38 of 43. Uh, he was so nasty and so dominant. It's hard to imagine that somebody could be better than Blake Trinan was in 2018. But Eck had three seasons that were better than Blake Trinan in 2018. That's how good Dennis Eckersley was. And didn't, uh, didn't Blake have like nine wins? Yeah, I mean, he had the win because when he would come into games, again, if he, if he would blow, he blew five, but he would save the tie, give him a chance to win. 
But you look at Eck, and the season I picked was not his MVP Cy Young year in 92, but 1990, Dennis Eckersley. And these numbers, they're, they're stratomatic numbers, right? They're, they're, they're crazy. They're, they're, they're a baseball game. He went 48 for 50 in saves. It's hard to believe that he actually blew two. His ERA was 0.61. He threw 72 and two-thirds innings, had 73 strikeouts, four walks. And one of those was intentional. So three unintentional walks in 72 and two-thirds innings in the most clutch, high-pressure situations that a reliever can be put in trying to close out a game. I just, it's mind-boggling how good he was in 1990. Yeah, it was was an incredible run. I mean, think about saving, you know, going from saving your career to becoming a Hall of Famer. I mean, Dennis Eckersley, what a life in baseball. Pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and such a good, honest, guy i mean i've had more fun you talk to eckersley um and you can bring up anything with him you know you can he's had some horrible moments right you can bring up the kirk gibson and roberto alomar and you know he's not thrilled to talk about it um but he'll when he does he gets back in the moment it's it's fun to watch him get back in the moment and i've talked to him about some other games or other situations ones where he succeeded there's not enough people talk to closers about games that actually did their job there's, just, there's no drama there, right? No one talks about it. Everybody remembers the games they blew. But you get him into games that also was very good in clutch situations in game one of the 88 ALCS and striking out Wade Boggs to win it. I mean, and he gets right back in the moment. And you can see his heart starting to race, and he's so excited. And he just – he loved it. He, he was so afraid of failure, right? And that's with all the emotion and everything else out on the mound. But now when you get back to it, you can see how much he really – Really enjoyed the competition. Well, this was a great list. Green and gold history. This is awesome. Thank you so much for stopping by. And we cannot wait to see you on Thursday. We'll see you at the ballpark, Tony. You betcha. Cannot wait. It's going to be like Christmas morning, Cody. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm excited to see, like I said, see everyone get to see you again on in person for a few days. And then the weekend comes and we're back at it again on over the start of the next week. So it'll be nice to do this show in person again. And we'll figure out how to do it with players and, and people, our guests that are going to be at the ballpark. So um, just being back there is going to be a lot of fun. And it's been a long time since we've been at a baseball game, a real baseball game, not an exhibition game like we were in Vegas and Arizona. So. A long, long time. Also, long, long time voice in Major League Baseball. Football, basketball, he's done it all. The great Steve Fiziak, who now does play-by-play for the Kansas City Royals. He's got his new book out. We'll talk about his new book. We'll talk about the Kansas City Royals, who they think they're going to be better. That's all next right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. All right, we'll have tomorrow off. We'll be back on Wednesday, which, by the way, Cody, I have to change the time. Change the time of the show on Wednesday? Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, that changes things, uh, but that's fine. Four to seven. 
Okay. We can talk about it after. Just wanted to let you know. And then what time on opening day? Uh, it'll be from four, from 4 to 6 on opening day. 4 to 6 on opening day. And then it starts, man, the grind. Dog days of summer. I don't know. I just got a really good feeling about this team. Got a really good feeling that these guys have really grown together. They got pitching. They got defense. Having Jed Lowry back, and they say Jed looks like he's in his 20s again. I mean, Jed is such a – his skill set is absolutely perfect for this for this lineup. He makes people better around him. Elvis is good defensively. He can still hit. And a monster year for Matt Olson and Matt Chapman and hopefully Ramon Laureano and Mark Canna and Stephen Piscotti stays healthy. Sean Murphy hits home runs. And the knock on wood staff stays relatively healthy. What do you think? I think it would be a big year. There's uh, a lot of expectations on this team. So, and they have all the all the pieces to do it. And we know how the division stacks up with the Rangers not being that great. And the Mariners still building. And the Angels, well, they don't have enough guys to get 27 outs still. And. The Astros, who knows? They're the wild card in this whole thing. I know I'm not going to go full East Coast bias and say, well, the Angels are going to win the division uh, from Houston. It's Houston's division to win. Um, Okay. I actually just read something, too. I didn't get a chance to see the quotes. I just saw the headline. But apparently when George Springer signed with the the Blue Jays, Ross uh, Ross Stripling apparently uh, and him had a conversation about it. Because remember, Stripling is a part of the Dodgers team that lost to the World Series to the Astros. So... Really? What was said? I know I, I got to look more into it, but uh, I saw someone someone shared that on social media. Right, here it is, uh, and it disappeared. Okay, I'll find it, and I'll, I'll get it to us after we talk to Steve Fiziok. All right, he's one of the top broadcasters in the game for the Kansas City Royals. Here is Steve Fiziok. Well, Steve, before we start talking about the 2021 Kansas City Royals, want to find out how your book's doing. Last time we talked to you, Walks with the Wind. How's it going? Well, we just received a review from Reader Views Literary uh, Company, and we received um, a five-star review, and they loved it, and that was outstanding. We've received very good reviews by, by reader favorites. This is the third book I've written, and Walks with the Wind will be the first of a two-book series at least. I'm just completing the uh, sequel to it called Catching the Wind, where the young man, our protagonist, Sam Cloud Carson, um, continues his quest to make it to to Major League Baseball. But he has a hard time in book one. But there have been a lot of people who have really enjoyed the book. Yeah, and that's something that, you know, you put your work out there, and it's kind of like putting your soul out there. And, and, and I'm glad to hear you're getting a lot of great reviews. You know, I've always been a guy when I did football, basketball, and baseball on the road, I was a reader. So I would read the classics, whether it was John Steinbeck or Ernest Hemingway. Um, I really loved to read while I was on the road. And in 2006, I decided, you know what, let's see if I can 
write a book myself. And I wrote a book called The Walls of Luca about two families trying to produce a great Sangiovese wine in Italy during Italy's dark days of World War One, the rise of fascism and World War Two. It's a love story slash historical fiction. And it did very well and won several awards for historical fiction um, from 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 some literary services. And so I always had this idea about Walks with the Wind, which is a, about a young man from the Southern Ute tribe in Southwest Colorado, and he has a good life. He's a great baseball player who can pack the stands with scouts, and he's surrounded by a, a wonderful, loving family. And he's also a, a brilliant wildlife tracker. So his life is good, but then all of a sudden, life happens, and it sets him on a different course. And this is his recovery. And so uh, I finished Walks with the Wind, and like I said, um, I've always been interested in a pitcher, a guy in the mound who is alone. And I've always felt like he is like a hunter, a hunter who's alone uh, trying to track an animal. And uh, for a pitcher, he has to get out of these jams all by himself. And I was always amazed at how the great ones would do it. And I go back to my days living in Northern California when I used to watch Dave Stewart and Bob Welch and Dennis Eckersley get out of jams. And once again, they were alone on the mound. The fans were screaming. People in the dugouts were yelling obscenities at them. And yet they were able to focus and do their job. And, and so I've always been intrigued by pitchers in the sport that I love the most, baseball. Well, it's funny. You talk about people screaming at you from the stands. It's, you know, where we talked to all of our players down at spring and they said, you know, it's been one of the great things just to see the fans, to hear the cheers. And even when a guy's heckling you, it's funny and it's just good to hear. You're exactly right, because we heard somebody really chewing out either the umpire or a player from the stands. And remember, we only had like I think it was 20% attendance, so we had about 2,000 fans in the stands at Surprise Stadium, and it may have been a game against the Oakland A's, but it was so funny, and we felt good that, hey, we've got a heckler, <laughs> and, 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 and it was a lot of fun, but I'm just so glad the fans get to enjoy baseball again. To me, it's the greatest sport in the world. Um, my entire life has been spent covering sports and team sports, football, basketball, and baseball, and when you see success like I've seen with the Angels in 2002 and the Royals in 14 and 15. It's really fun. And, and I'm, I'm blessed to work for a great organization that's building a group of young men again and, and into a contender. And we had our time in 14 and 15. We won a world championship then. And now we're trying to build this group of young men up again and, and, and have them come together. We had a very good spring. I think we had 16 wins, and that was the most in Cactus League play, I believe. Um, so we're making those strides. Unfortunately, we're in a very strong American League Central. Well, Dayton Moore is the kind of guy to me that he understands the ob obstacle and he doesn't complain about it. He just gets over those obstacles. So he knows how to win in Kansas City to where I don't think every other GM, I think a guy like Billy Bean, I, you know, I think there's certain guys who are equipped to, to run teams like this because I think there are other, other guys who would just see the pitfalls and, and, and they'd fail. Well, Dayton Moore, number one, is a man of integrity, and I love him. I just think he's a fantastic general manager and even more so a tremendous person because he really seeks for leaders. And I'll, and I'll give you an example. In 2015, 
we had a very good team. We were in first place in the American League Central. And I went to him in July and I said, hey, Dayton, we've got a really good ball club, but I'm not sure we're, we're good enough to uh, win the World Series. And he said, Steve, I'm going to get the pieces, but I won't do anything to disrupt the chemistry we currently have in our clubhouse. And then they signed Ben Zobrist, or actually traded for him from the Oakland A's. Fantastic guy. And he fit our team and our lineup perfectly. We got an, an A starter, Johnny Cueto from the Cincinnati Reds. And those two guys were dramatic influences on our our strive to greatness, our you know, our leap over not just the winning of the American League championship but winning the World Series, and Cueto had some big games, and Zobras just seemed to give that lineup balance. But just look at the guys that Dayton signed this past offseason. Carlos Santana is an American League champion. Wade Davis, two-time world champion. Michael Taylor is a world champion. Andrew Benintendi is a world champion. They re-signed Greg Holland, who's a world champion. So it's like everybody they acquired has some kind of leadership or championship um, resume. And I, I think that is really very cool. And Salvador Perez with a new contract, Whit Merrifield, all he does is get two, three hits a night. I mean, it's an interesting lineup. And it is. And it's a guy's, a, a bunch of young men who I think are selfless. You talked about Salvador Perez this spring training. He wanted to work on being more patient. One of the reasons we gave him that four-year contract, which could be five years, was because of what we've seen in the past, toughness, leadership, handling a pitching staff. And we've got a group of young pitchers who are coming up from the minor leagues, guys like Brady Singer, who is now in our starting rotation, uh, Asa Lacey, who was our first-round draft choice last year, Dan Lynch, Jackson Kowar, Chris Bubich. We need a captain, a guy who can bring them along, much like Yadier Molina brings along a young staff with the St. Louis Cardinals, why they've had so much, so much success with young pitchers. And I think that was the reason they, they wanted to make sure that Salvador Perez remained with the ball club. But you mentioned Whit Merrifield, a great guy, a guy who doesn't mind if you play him at second base, right field, played center field last year. It's, it's a group of young men that um, I think not only – has talent, but they have that ability to leave their locker room, excuse me, leave their, leave their ego in the locker room and play for each other. And we saw that in 14 and 15, and we won two American League championships and one World Series in that time. Yeah, when, when, when you're building a team and you've got a lot of young, talented players making it up to the big leagues, you do, Steve, got to have some veteran leadership to show them the way on and off the field. You're exactly right. It is so important, and we see it in every single sport. And every sport that I have been a part of that's won a championship, and when I did Pac-10 slash 12 football for so many years, when, when Pete Carroll was part of the uh, USC Trojans, I mean, he really was a great coach who developed leaders. And the same thing was true with Arizona when they won in basketball under Lute Olson. And the same thing is true with the Angels I saw in 2002 when I was part of the Angels organization. Bill Stoneman and Mike Socia, what they developed. Um, uh, and, I, and I always remember Mike and Bill telling me, we want to be uh, a team that pitches well, 
defends well, and we want to be the best base running team because I think both the Angels and the Royals know we'll never be able to afford power. So let's play the game right. And and the Royals have always played the game right. I think they're one of the most athletic, uh, speediest teams in baseball. And I think we're going to show that this year. Are you shocked going back to your Angels days that that, that group didn't win more than one World Series? Well, I think they fell into a trap a little bit in the fact that when they won, baseball people were making baseball decisions. Uh, Bill Stoneman and Mike Sosha were a great combination, general manager and field manager, and they were allowed to get the type of players to build a championship. And the same thing is true with the Royals, where management in this case, David Glass, the ownership uh, in the past, and now John Sherman, they really trust Dayton Moore and what he has done, the people he's surrounded himself, his uh, assistant general manager staff, the scouting department, the people that they bring in. Obviously, he has to approve of contracts like Salvador Perez, but I think he's developed a reputation that if you let baseball people make baseball decisions, you're going to have success. And I think that's one of the reasons the Oakland A's have been able to um, struggle for a bit and then recover and make it back to postseason very, very quickly. I think Billy Bean is a terrific general manager. You know, there have been uh, circumstances beyond his control, and I'll identify one of them, that 2014 wildcard game that the Royals stole from the Oakland A's. The Royals recovered, played a remarkable game, came back from four runs down in the seventh inning to catch the A's. And then Salvador Perez ripped a base hit down the line to win the ball game. But perhaps if Oakland wins that game, they go on to win the American League. Who knows? A a lot of the game is luck, but a lot of it is that intestinal fortitude of of never giving up. Yeah, and, and, you know, the A's have been to the playoffs six out of the last eight years. And I try and tell everybody it's the continuity. It's the continuity of, of Billy Bean, David Forrest, Bob Melvin's now the longest tenured manager in baseball. Conti- continuity wins. Uh, you know, we saw that article in the athletic about the Rockies. We don't, they, they don't have communication. It sounds very dysfunctional and it's a mess. And I'm like, that's why the A's win when not without spending the most money is because they understand continuity matters. You're absolutely right. And they understand that pitching wins, defense wins, even in that, uh, that era of Billy ball, you know what? It, it still got back to great pitching. I mean, during that era, they had Mark Mulder and Barry Zito and Tim Hudson. And if you can really identify good pitching developing in your minor league system, you're going to win. That's what the Royals are trying to do right now. I told you, in 2018, our first five players drafted that year were college pitchers, and they all came from outstanding programs, Florida, Virginia, Stanford. And those five guys, I think, are going to be part of our team in one way, whether it's as a starter or a reliever. So you have to identify that talent, also see how it was worked on and developed in the college system and how it will transfer to the major leagues. Um, Brady Singer, a guy who was drafted in the first round by us in 2018, was our first pick, I think 16th overall. He had success last year, but he has that 
it mentality. He doesn't have an overpowering fastball, 92, 93, throws a, a sinker, but he has great command with that pitch. He also has a terrific slider. He is a developing changeup. And I, I love the kid, and he threw five shutout innings today, and uh, the Royals uh, won their final game of spring training. The book walks with the wind. You can get it. I'm looking at it right now. You can get it on Amazon. That's simple. Yes. Yeah, you can just type in my name, Steve Fiziak, or type in Walks with the Wind. It'll come up. It's like $3.99 for the ebook, or if you want the physical book, you can get it for a little bit more than that. But it's doing quite well. It's about baseball. It's an action adventure. It's got a little spirituality in it. And uh, I'm just finishing up the sequel, and then it goes to my developmental editor, editor where she tears it apart, hands it back to me, and goes, okay, start over. And that's the way it is. But I like to tell people, this is my golf. When you get a little older, some people go fishing or play golf. Well, I write. And I have been writing the last 14 years uh, on airplanes, on buses, uh, you know, after ball games in a, in a hotel. And um, the result has been surprisingly good. Uh, all th- three of my books have been well-received and well-reviewed. Well, I've been I've been watching you, as you mentioned, all the sports that you've done. I've been watching you for a long time, and it's great to hear your voice. Good to know that you guys are doing well, and I can't wait to see you at the ballpark. Chris, I can't wait to see you at the ballpark because that was the most disappointing thing last year, not being able to follow up on relationships I've had. I mean, Ken Korak's one of my favorite broadcasters in the business, the Oakland A's great broadcaster, and uh, I, I miss talking with him. I miss talking with people like you. I miss sitting in the dugout talking with Bob Melvin or Mike Matheny or our players. And uh, much much like an athlete, at the end of your life, you go, what do you miss the most? You miss relationships. And sports is a great way to to develop those friendships and carry them through. Great stuff as always. Let's talk soon. You bet, Chris. Anytime. Love talking to the Bay Area. We were there 10 years, and we miss it. And still some of our best friends are in the – Oakland, Alameda area, the Blackwells, the Kuipers, the um, the Ditmores, the Schratzes. We love them all. Oh, that's awesome. Be well, be safe. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, Chris. That guy's a good guy. The Fizz, he's one hell of a guy. We're, we're big fans of his, his partner that he has games with as well, the HUD man. Oh, the HUD. The HUD man makes me want to come out of retirement. You ready for a little buying or selling? It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. Well, while we were playing the Steve Fiziak interview, uh, John Heyman had a little bit of news. And this isn't a buying or selling question. It's more related towards what's going on in the sport of baseball. And according to Heyman, the Mets have offered Francisco Lindor $325 million over 10 years. Now would rank him behind only Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, Tatis, and John, uh, and Bryce Harper, and tie him with Stan for the biggest contract in baseball. So we'll see if he wants to turn down another major contract and bet on himself. But if you turn out $325 million and go into next offseason, you think you're going to get more. More power, too, if you have a good year, Lindor. But if you have a bad year and you turn it down, it's not, not a good thing, probably. So, 
That's insane. You don't turn down $325 million. If, if Just say hypothetically he turns that down. He'll be the first player or first athlete to ever turn down $525 million worth of extensions to bet on himself. So I, I don't see him turning this one down. I mean, he set the deadline for opening day. There's three days essentially still to get it done. Although it's 10 o'clock on the East Coast, everyone's in bed already. So they probably didn't even see the news about this happening. Um, so three days, maybe he gets it done because Correa is another guy with the Astros. They set the deadline for, for Thursday. So buying or selling, Carlos Correa and Francisco Lindor will sign their deals by Thursday. I, I I buy Lindor. I don't buy Correa. Correa's career is an Astro over after this year. I guess we'll find out. So last week we found out that Major League Baseball would be keeping a close eye out for foreign substances. Now, Joel Sherman was the first to report this with an article in the New York Post about how Major League Baseball could potentially use StatCast to see if a pitcher was cheating by doctoring the baseball. Now, spin rate was mentioned as what they could measure to see if a player was using a foreign substance on the ball or not. Now, this is from Eno Saris, who did a report on this um, about the grip stuff that pitchers would use. Lab analysis says pine tar and grip substances increases fastball stuff by 10% and breaking ball stuff by about 20 to 30%. So this is a big deal. In 2018, Trevor Bauer theorized that the Astros may have been doing something to help pitchers get better and later said 70% of the league was using foreign substances. This was on Real Sports. Well, two guys on that team were Verlander and, and Garrett Cole. Now, Garrett Cole was mentioned in a lawsuit by Angels Clubhouse manager Bubba Harkins, who claimed he was scapegoated for supplying a ball doctoring connotation to opposing pitchers, which one of them was Garrett Cole. Buying or selling Garrett Cole will not finish in the top three for American League Cy Young in 2021. Top three? I'm selling. I'm saying he'll be top three. That's tough when uh, Otani's going to win the MVP in the Cy Young, apparently, according to everyone (laughs) in the American League. So Matt Harvey's back in the bigs. Well, I mean, he was in the bigs last year for the the Royals, but um, he's made the roster for the Orioles. He's now their number two pitcher. Just think about that for a second. Matt Harvey's now the second best pitcher, according to the Orioles, behind only John Means, because – King Felix, Felix Hernandez, opted out of his deal with the Orioles, so now he's a free agent. Harvey, who just turned 32 over the weekend, got a one-year, $1 million contract and a chance to earn performance bonuses. Now, last year, he was 0-3 at the 11.57 ERA in four starts and three relief appearances for the Royals. He has a 5.40 ERA in three spring training appearances this year, allowing six runs and ten hits in ten innings with six strikeouts and one walk, but somehow he's still the number two starter for them. Harvey went 34 and 37 with a 3.66 ERA for the Mets from 2012 until he's traded to the Reds in 2018. Buying or selling, Matt Harvey will be on the Orioles roster after the All Star break. The Dark Knight. Uh, uh, buying, he'll be on the roster after the. I say no. I, I don't sell. So. I'm going to take it one step further. I think he's off the roster by May. If you're telling I mean, me, he- what's, the point? what's what, if you're not trying to win, and you're trying to go young, what's the point of having him? The only rationale I could think of of that is he's a veteran. Well, I guess he's a veteran pitcher with some pl- playoff experience, and maybe they can sell some tickets in Baltimore to come see Matt Harvey pitch. But if he stinks, you're not going to sell tickets. So why does it really matter? 
Is Matt is, is somebody saying, hey, kids, let's all get in the old truckster and go watch Matt Harvey pitch for the Orioles. I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, he still has a dark night, man. I don't know, maybe he has a comeback. I don't know. I, don't, I, th- I think that what the Orioles are thinking is he can do well and we can trade him for assets that won't be on the roster until 2027. So the Southsiders were dealt a major blow last Thursday when uh, – Eloy Jimenez was announced he's going to be out for five to six months with a shoulder injury. Now, Jimenez was projected to lead the team in home runs and OPS, according to Pakoda. Now, the pressure will fall into rookie Andrew Vaughn from Cal. Rick Hahn said of the of the White Sox said the former Cal product could play left field for the White Sox, which he did on Friday, where he played first base primarily at Cal and in the minors. He's only 245 career plate appearances. Many are saying he could be rookie of the year in the AL. But there'll be a lot of pressure on him in year one for a team trying to win the AL Central for the first time since 2008. He could join a list of five other guys for the White Sox to win the AL Rookie of the Year, with the last being Jose Abreu in 2014. Buying or selling Andrew Vaughn will win the American League Rookie of the Year award. Why not? I'll buy. I'll play your little game. <laughs> I mean, there's a couple other guys. that. I mean, do we still consider Luis Robert a rookie? Because... Uh, he must. He might have played in too many games last year. But Nick Madrigal, his teammate with the White Sox, is a guy that could be up for it. So we'll see. Now this is one that's going to be good. The Mariners may very well have been the peskiest opponent this spring for reigning Cy Young Award winner Trevor Bauer. After drawing four walks against him in his first meeting with the right-hander, Seattle clobbered three homers in the fifth inning last week. Now here's what Bauer said post-game. I was just throwing pitches. That's not really a good mind frame to be in when you're trying to get guys out. But I was just out there finishing off the night trying to get my pitch count out. Well, manager Scott Service did not like what Bauer had to say. Here's what Scott Service had to say after the game. Certainly Bauer was on top of his game early. And I just wanted everybody to know that our guys weren't trying the first four innings. We decided to try in the fifth inning uh, last night. And, and uh, it worked out. Our guys started trying. So I know he, he had said maybe he wasn't in the fifth, but our guys were trying in the fifth. We just didn't take it seriously the first three, four innings. Did they have both eyes open? No, our guys were hitting with one eye shut uh, the first mornings and, and trying to breathe through our eyelids uh, as we're focusing on different things that will help us throughout the year. So Bauer, we know, signed a record deal with the Dodgers this uh, past offseason. He's making $40 million, and he came at number 16, came in at number 16 on ESPN's Top 100 Players list. As noted, David Schoenfeld of ESPN said Bauer only faced two good offensive teams last year when he won the the uh, the NL Cy Young because the NL Central was so bad uh, when it came to their team's hitting. Buying or selling Trevor Bauer won't finish in the top five in the American or the National League Cy Young voting. Am I buying that? Yeah, you're buying or selling. Do you think he's going to finish in or he won't? I I I I'm selling. I'm, I'm selling. I don't think he will. I, I don't top five. There's a lot of pitchers out there. Odds are in my favor. Yeah, and well, plus I don't. I just don't think he. We love him. I mean, he's a friend of the program, but I just don't think he. Uh, I don't think he can do it. The Grom back and a healthy Scherzer and Strasburg back healthy and Kershaw Walker and Bueller. Bueller is teammate. I mean, I don't know when Zach Allen's gonna be back, but he's a dark horse Cy Young guy you could look at. Uh, you Cor- Darvish, Darvish, Snell, Corbin Burns for the Brewers. Jack Flaherty of the Cardinals. Mad bum. You mean the 25th best starter on opening day? <laughs> so that, with, that, his, with his five ERA? 
Yeah. Well, hey, he got he got five years, eighty five million. So what's left on that deal? It's still a lot of money for four years. Oh God. So that's that's all the buying or selling today. We'll get to the Liam Hendricks. We'll save we'll save the Liam Hendricks question for for Wednesday. You got a Liam Hendricks question? Yeah, he uh, <clears throat> he was in the top one hundred of ESPN's uh, top one hundred players in the sport. Wow, the, shots fired. The, the number one relief pitcher on the market and in baseball the last two years wasn't in the top one hundred list. Wow. All righty, are we uh, are we going to replay the game? No, we're going to play the, the show. show. We'll play the show, then we'll probably play the game later. All righty, everybody. We'll see you on a special edition Wednesday, the day before opening day. We'll be on from 4 to 7. And you're going to hear Ray Fossey. You're going to hear from the skipper. You're going to hear from Voos. Uh, it's going to be a star-studded group on Wednesday. We'll see you from 4 to 7. Have a great day, everybody. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 